Hello, Hal. Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the podcast doors, Hal. Yeah, all right, good, good, good. Open good the job. podcast doors, Hal. Now, what else could you do? Well, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. And I felt like people would have been ripping their hair out if I didn't do that just because we rarely have a line that pod. infamous that has pod in it. Very famous line. I'll tell you what I wanted to do. What? Pod. Yeah, right. That's pod. the other. <laughs> Gas. Pod. Podcast. Podcast. Yeah, podcast, that'd be funny. Podcast. Podcast. Pod. I think you made the right choice. Yeah. Pod. Pod. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> What if someone did pod, that pod, now? Pod, I mean, this pod, is funny. Pod, pod, the pipe organ stays. I know, on. I know. What, you're better at home. What if, like, we also couldn't we couldn't sync up there on when when it's a pod and when it's a cast? It's a hard choice. What if, if you know like, the planets don't always align? Of course, you need a fellow like Stanley Kubrick to you make need, sure you those need a planets Kubrick to line up those planets. Yeah, not every schmo can do. Not that. every schmo can do it. What were you gonna say, David? What if like Jurassic open Park? Open the podcast doors, David. Yes, uh, done. Uh, it's gonna be soft. Yeah, very soft. <laughs> uh, like Jurassic Park Dominion, like some big movie from this great year. movie. Yeah, sure. Open functional with, movie. Opened Kubrickian. With like a shot of the of the planet Earth and the sun rising with yeah. with also spoke you know sparks yeah. Zarathustra however yeah. you know over it your German is terrible just, no joke just did that yeah and then someone asks the direct you know Trevor or whoever why'd you do that and he's like oh it's an homage to two thousand like what if someone actually just, just plainly was like oh I love that opening yeah <laughs> the most famous movie opening of all yeah. time. I just you did can it. only do that once. You can only do what he did well, once. Well, a lot time. of parody movies have done it. That's fine. That's fine. But you're because saying then it's for like a bong yeah. right. or a hamburger. Right. Know, oh, we get it. Right. You know, it's not the majesty of But the it's heavens. also funny that like it does feel like if you do something that even vaguely resembles this on any level, people go like, was that an homage to that? Like you can't open a movie with a planet. No. You can't, uh, not essentially. And classical music, like thunderous. Or one classical. or the other. I feel like people will be like, is that a 2001 thing? You know, it's, I'm, I'm really excited thing? that we began the show. By the way, um, I've been on the show and I've never been introduced, so I'm going to introduce myself. Oh, Do it. Have you really never been introduced? It's a running bit. <laughs> oh. It's funny. Uh, okay. I've maintained it. Uh, and people sure. have, in fact, called out my comedic consistency, my no, commitment what we love. to this bit. Yeah. Do you guys know what Cowper's fluid is? Yeah. I oh, mean, okay. What is Cowper's fluid? Well, it's you know what is Cowper's gland street, is. What is the street street name? See, I don't know. I, I wasn't I, like David. I, I, look, I mean, claiming I, mean, I knew. We're starting early, and, and this is the 2001 episode. But he's talking about uh, pre cum. Pre cum. Cowper's fluid, which I could uh -huh. be pronouncing it correctly. I think you're pronouncing. No, no you're pronouncing it correctly. Known yeah. on the street. Yeah. As pre cum. Sure. The first <laughs> going for the, the big dollar these days on the street. The first shot. Yeah. If I may use the word shot yeah. of 2001 A Space Odyssey uh -huh. is a shot of pre-cum. Oh, boy. And I swear to God, I'm not making this up. And I, I really do believe, I have no way of confirming this, Stanley Kubrick was... A, 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 he was had a sick sense of humor. He I mean, no, that's true. From the fifth, he, he was part that, of that yeah. 1950s sick humor. Sure. We're going to get into this the New York Jewish intellectual yes. shtick, that whole kind of Mort Saul Mad Magazine world that he mm -hmm. lived in, which is most evidence in Doctor Strangelove. The first shot of this movie is 
of it's, a, it's a, a crescent. It's, it's a head of a penis, and then the sun comes out, and it's a little dot. That he's, is he's, pre. He's referring to this. Yeah. To be clear. Yeah, and then as the as it moves <laughs> now, on, and now you can see it. Now of it course. comes out a little bit more. It's a little bit of, and it's hilarious when you think there's a lot of humor. Well, look. Let's say the main ship of this movie looks like a, a sperm. Sure, a lot, a lot of, lot of ships. There's are a lot. Movie ends with a, with a baby. With a, with a fetus. With a fetus. There's a lot a of little, vulva in a little action. Embryo. Well, there's yeah. a lot of vulvas going in and out of sure. when, when the the the, the, the which pod is bay the, doors. Pod this bay is doors. why we. This is why we brought Jordan in here. I mean, I, I will we, admit this is the thing. Okay, so yeah. when March Madness, right? Booking booking this show has become. <laughs> Year over year, uh, an increasingly complicated puzzle, right? Heavy, and there's heavy like, is the head that wears the crown. I mean, I can't say it, but you can, <laughs> okay? Because it's like, who are our favorite guests we haven't had on in too long, right? Then it's like, who are people we've been meaning to have on, right. people who've reached out to us? And then sometimes you look at the movies coming up and you're like, who isn't on that list but would be a good guest for that, who we should reach out to or see if they'd be interested or whatever? Usually we do this in secret because we keep private what's upcoming on the yeah, schedule. It's, it's your business. You keep Absolutely. It yeah. And it gives us a sense of control. But when we do March Madness, our business is public. Everyone <laughs> knows what's coming up in the fall. And so everyone in our orbit starts to reach out and go, look, I'm just saying, I just want to throw my hat in the ring, this right. and that. Right. So yeah. this was a particularly tough miniseries to figure out where to land on everything because we had a lot of people throwing out you know, their bids for a lot of different movies. Kubrick's and a big get. Big it's a get. big big fish, as you say. And mm. we just kept on going back to, we had our spreadsheet in like four alts for each movie, right? And trying to balance them out and then move some people to different miniseries or whatever. We just kept on going back to... Having Jordan on 2001 feels funny. <laughs> like other people were making their arguments for yeah. it, but we just kept on going, that feels like that's a funny thing to do. It It'll be, be a funny episode. Well, the movie begins with Cro-Magnon early man. And if you've yes. seen my shoulders and back, <laughs> I am a, a Semitic man of Russian Ural stock. And I am her suite, as they say. Sure. And I Is feel, that how you pronounce that? I, it's I Cowper's right. gland. With Cowper's. <laughs> Well, um, that's you know, I I hope to bring the bring the heat today. You're already bringing the heat. Um, my name's Jordan Hoffman, by the way. Fuck, Thank God you damn it. so much for Good having job, me. On Jordan. He said he was going to do it, and then I did you notice yeah. I spent like five minutes. You were trying, trying to, to deflect. I know. Uh, I've Cut been a, a guest on this show a few four times. times. This, this is my, your fourth, this fourth appearance. I get a I get a I didn't get a jacket, but I got a um. Like a uh, what are the pano uh, with cheese bread. Panabano. I got a, a pot. Yeah, one of those. It was yeah, delicious. Yeah, yeah. Colombian. Uh, Colombian cheese, cheese, cheese bread. Danish. Um, and I'm thrilled to be. You asked for munchkins. And I yeah. got you one big cheese munchkin, essentially. <laughs> well, because there's a there's a no, 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 restaurant. No. I go to the Colombian right place the other, on the other side. Uh, four episodes. Blue yeah. Steel. Love that movie. Uh, That's right. Melvin and Howard. That's right. I really love that. Movie. Beowulf. 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 I guess that's I one. am Beowulf. What a four, what a four pack. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times our our recurring guests, our friends, our our listeners will be like, "Oh, they always cover movies like this. Here's the theme you can find through the movies they cover." Mm. That's a pretty varied four. Yeah, there's not a four. There's not a through line with those four. There's really. not. I can safely say with Melvin and Howard is probably because nobody else wanted to do that one. I'm sure there were. There were <laughs> maybe <laughs> weren't clamoring. You, you but... put your bid down early because well, I, I love that movie. Yeah, I think yeah. it's great. I think it's uh, under. Yeah, under Beowulf as well. You very early on said like, "I'm that. I'm very fascinated by that movie. <laughs> I have opinions." And you had Mead. You had mead in the. You had in the mead. Fridge. I brought mead. Oh shit! Yeah. Did mead anybody, to the Zoom. Did we? Did you drink any no, of the mead? It was no, it was on Zoom. Zoom. It was the deep pandemic. Oh shit! I had that was deep. I, I had mead. 
over you, the you drank yeah. meat I drank on mine. We watched yeah, you drink yeah, meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Meat is not that great. 2001. What a picture. A space, space odyssey. odyssey. It's, it's, it's a huge, huge movie. Yes. Do you think it is Stanley Kubrick's defining film? In many ways. It's, I feel like it's this and The Shining. Yeah. Right? These are the two movies that cast the largest cultural shadows to this day. It's this. It's this. But the, the, the only question is, is this movie almost outside of careers uh, you know certain it's like is it cinema's defining movie i mean that's just i it. don't even mean that in a highfalutin way but it's almost like a grand canyon thing where it's like yeah. what are you gonna say yeah a lot of these current movies it's very daunting to do an episode on these things yeah yeah because you're just like what do i have to add to the conversation well, well i mean what's fascinating is you say like is it cinema's defining i think it's safe to say with the possible exception of something like tree of life this is the most um sort of like Experimental movie. Right. It's the most successful ever experimental played film. at a wide, right. wide uh, release. No, far beyond. And, but like also the to have yeah. been a financial success. Right. Yes, right. you know, a, my a parents huge... saw this when it came out, and they are not psychedelic people. Exactly. Um, and I think part of a good way to think about this movie is that it's a very bifurcated experience. And I'm, I'll be a little bit serious now. Part of what makes the movie so great to some audiences is that it is very hard sci-fi. Sure. Diamond hard sci-fi, as they call it, which is an actual term. Yes, yeah. you're right. Extremely you're right. hard yeah. sci-fi. Like, you know, him floating around fixing the EPS thingamajig during the, the when he's uh, screwing the bolts and everything, getting the wires out. And we should spend some time defining the differences. Sure. Well, well, I'm just putting a pin in it for later. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So th on that level, and of course, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, a science fiction writer who had a science writing career and is pretty much the man who invented the concept of the communication satellite. I mm -hmm. mean, that's a well-known fact. So Arthur C. Clarke is hard sci-fi. I would call him very hard sci-fi, yeah. yes. Then the other flip side of this coin is that this is a very experimental right. psychedelic psychedelic what does it all mean man it's about feelings at the end of the day we're all just like a baby floating yeah, in space <laughs> man yeah I mean there are huge I'm chunks looking at of myself movie. and I'm old and then <laughs> yeah. I'm full of stars man we're not all just monkeys man yeah. non-narrative just images floating bone around bone was the first tool man bone was the first tool that also has a penis thing there's a whole yeah, uh, uh, yeah. there's a whole thing about penis in this movie but um and then also like you know who is to say that hal isn't alive yes right right you know? yeah, aren't yeah, we all sure. just computers right. responding to stimuli yeah, man I think therefore yeah. i am yeah. man so there's that and then you fuse it with this like very technical sci-fi at a time perfect i'm 1968 apollo is right around the corner it's yep. just like a perfect alignment to achieve escape velocity and become a, uh, a sensation. Then, like, holy shit, the chairs look really cool. The yeah. computer readouts. Fucking all, spaceships. Yeah, the spaceships the space look suits. amazing. The space yeah. suits, the IBM ThinkPad existing 25 years in advance. All this cool stuff. It's just a perfect thing that's been never been recreated never been touched no. again obviously the sequel exists clark wrote three sequels which i have read and would love to talk about we, we know we're we gonna got get it. into we all have of to talk about yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah um he I, got I, up to 3001 ben did you know that no i had that's I the last book 3001 the final odyssey it's a hell of a book and there's also um elements of clark's earlier work in this movie and there's also a funny thing maybe now is the time to bring it up arthur Courageous Clark. Uh -huh. that, that was his actual middle name. No. no I don't, it was. I don't, Check Char the dossier. It's Charles. <laughs> I'm reading something different. Arthur the Charles 
courageous Clark. Yeah. Uh-huh. His he you know written a lot of short stories, or written a lot of science writing, but his first novel was a book called The Sands of Time. Now mm-hmm. dig this. This is really cool, and I only discovered this for the first time a few months ago when I read The Sands of Time. Sands of Time was published in 1950, 51, something like this, but he'd written it a few years earlier. Let's say he wrote it in 48, 47, something like this. Uh, just to, be, to correct you, it's called The Sands of Mars. Oh, I'm sorry, The Sands of Mars. The it Sands was published of Mars. in 51, I think. Published yeah. in 51, but it had been lingering Sands for a few Time, years. Sands of Time, the Jim Henson thing? I don't know. I think it is. Look it up. Sands of Mars is a decent enough book, and it's about... No, um, Tale of Sand is what you're thinking. Weird. Of. Okay. Anyway, it's yeah. a Mars Mars book. Mars book. It's set on the first colony on Mars. It's yes. sort of a government-run colony. And um, the, the shtick is that the agency that runs the colony wants to send a well-known science fiction writer to the colony to experience life on the colony and write about it. So Arthur C. Clarke is writing ostensibly about himself. The book, they don't give the exact year of when it's set, but if you do the math, it's set around 2009, 2010. Now, here's what's really funny. In the book, the guy that are the, the, the narrator mm-hmm. is a Clark uh, yeah. proxy is famous because he was a struggling science fiction writer who in the late 1960s, early 1970s, wrote a phenomenal runaway bestseller, much like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which came out in 68, which be, which put him on the map and everybody loved. But the hardcore astronauts think the guy's a fool because Sands of Mars takes place after the year in which this was supposed to take place. So it takes place in 2009, and the book was supposed to take place around 2001, and it's like, ah, you got it all wrong. It wasn't like it actually is. And somehow Clark predicted this in 1950 when he wrote this, that he would write a book that would be a phenomenon that by the time time caught up to it, it would be like, we don't have space stations, yeah. actually. Blah, 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 blah. So, remember when he beamed into the Oscars <laughs> late in life? Arthur C. Clarke? Yeah. No, he was, I don't Because he lived this. in Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka late right, in yeah. life and he was like into diving. He and was he, even living in Sri Lanka at the time yeah, that Kubrick yeah, yeah, reached right. out well, to him he, for this he, movie. He was, um, you know, he was gay. Ceylon at the time. Yeah, uh, he was gay and living in England when it was still illegal to be gay. Mm-hmm. And he and his lover, who was, I believe, Sri Lankan, lived, yeah. moved to Sri Lanka. But he claimed. That it was because the telescopes could see stars better. Sure. Because they're at the sure, equator. Sure, sure. I'm sure there was no, a happy Less accident. light pollution yeah. over there. He just beamed into the Oscars late and very near yeah. his death, I think. What year he was died this? in 2008. Huh? What year was this? I think it was 2000 or 2001. Huh. And he truly looked. I mean, I hope it was like 2001. It would, that, that must have been what it, it was. It must have it been. It was the 2000 yeah. Oscars in 2000. That's why. That's why. And he truly, straight up, looked like Dr. Evil. Because yeah. he was wearing <laughs> oh, like. You know what? I do remember. He this. was wearing like a Nehru jacket. You know, he was bald. And you were just like, oh my. Oh my God, it's Doctor Evil. Because I think I see... He's like, hello, it's me, Arthur C. Clarke in 2001. Oh, ho, ho, ho. And you were just like, you know, raising your pinky finger. I think I see 2001 right after that. I see uh, it in the sure? year 2001, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Well, I mean, it must yeah. I mean, it's in the, a classic movie that you can you can basically see 2001 in the theater any year you want. It'll always be in a rep I'll theater say this, somewhere. Though. I, I have been not able to find a screening these last three months. I was yeah. just sort of like, here we go. I would, Summer that's why I said year. I feel I know, like it'll I do like it once a year. year it plays fucking somewhere. somewhere. Moving image. Moving image almost always do does the 70 yeah, millimeter. Kind of and I was movie, just like, yeah. haven't seen it on a big screen in like 21 years. 
Would love to see it again. Perfect excuse for this podcast. Yeah. Summer 2022. Here we go. Let me keep my eyes and ears open for a 2001 screening. I have not been able to well, find it. Well, there one. was that Nolan release that happened That's recently. That's the last really major role, was which was, was that 2019? It was the maybe? Damien Hurst release. It was so... We took the print and he uh, put it in a jar full of piss. <laughs> right. It was all, it was what it was. It like, was whatever the it was 50th, D-Master. I would imagine was, it was right. 2018 because it was the 50th anniversary. That makes sense. I have a fun little story about that. They, they, I know you do. For, I know. We can for talk the listener at home, yeah. they remastered the movie for what is now the base of the 4K print release digital copy that exists. Um, but then Nolan supervised this IMAX re-release, large format re-release. It was 2018. Where he, off of the base 4K restoration scanning, demastered it to look the way he remembered <laughs> seeing it yeah. at his local cinema as a child yeah. when the movie had been playing for like he, two or he three He didn't years. want it to be like perfectly smooth. So it was like and, yellowed. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was an interesting... And you could see it like in IMAX. Yeah, and people like, were know. just like, why does this look bad on purpose? And they were like, it's how Nolan remembers it. <laughs> like Warner Brothers just, he had such a blank check at I that I don't know, point. I saw it, I thought it looked pretty cool. What was it called? Like it was called, his memory? It, it was called like 2001. <laughs> it was called like the D-Man. It was called Demastered. It I was think. something where I mean, it okay. was a great op. I mean, I, I you know I've seen it in seventy. It was yeah, kind of like times it was kind of like listening to not that vinyl isn't good, but it was kind of like that thing of like I want to hear all the little imperfections the and the pops and the right. It was like rather than a movie that is already regarded as like the coldest, right? You know, most sort of uh, hermetic film ever made, like just being presented in beautiful, clean, you know, four K. Like, but it was you this know. funny thing where Leon Vitale who just passed yeah. away and we'll talk about a lot in the Barry Lyndon episode uh, they they knew that there was like a 4K release coming out on home video and digital after this Nolan branded IMAX re-release Yeah, and they kept on going like Vitaly is is the 4K Blu-ray gonna look like this <laughs> and he like couldn't say good heavens no because <laughs> like, no, no, they didn't want to oh, stop oh, on the toes right. of the Nolan thing right, like, right, right, he had to yeah. keep going like I have overseen what will be on the disc, and yeah. I think people will be happy with that. They both look good, and the uh, you know, and now in circulation, if they're screening it, it's it's like the proper version. You know what's funny is that there's another seventy millimeter floating around that that moving image showed, and there was a focus issue with it on night one, which uh -huh. I went, and this was actually kind of cool. This uh, the focus issue made itself known at the shot when the monolith first appears sure. and the apes are going ape, if you will. Shit. Uh, and and so, but what was amazing, and if Eric Hines of the Moving Image is listening right now, he probably remembers there was a little bit of a focus, blah, 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 like a like a yeah. blah, 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 what do you want to call that? A squirt, a judder, a judder, sure, a shutter, right on the monolith. So it felt like the monolith. It was, was so like, cool to a guy who's seen the movie wobbly. a million times. Right. It was like the monolith was freaking out, man, yeah. <laughs> and it was jumping out at me, and I was like getting all weird. And the the apes, the monkeys, the Cro-Mags, whatever, are like touching it, freaking out. Yeah. And the monolith isn't what it's supposed to look like. And I felt, for me personally, yeah. that it was the best time I'd seen it in a theater. But the Nolan one, dig this. In New York, they showed it at Village East, which is a great theater. Yeah. But in... Like, not the most, uh, the neighborhood that's a little bit, you know, East Village. It's not like where, uh, you know, it's, it's a real neighborhood where people it's live. It's 2nd Avenue and 12th Street, and there's this one screen there that is like the one 
remaining great old sort of movie palace. I mean, it's that in the Paris. Yeah. But this, I guess they now call it the, the Jaffe Art Theater. Do they give it a name now? They give yeah. it some special name now. Yeah, well, it used it, to be a Yiddish theater and they, there's Jewish stars right, everywhere. It's like, and... It looks like an old opera house. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And they have a 70 millimeter projector there. So they'll do whatever the new big releases that's playing there. But they'll also do a lot of like 70 millimeter screenings, classic movie screenings so, there. So dig this. I go... Uh, you know, a couple days into the run, I go to the 4 p.m. screening, and as I'm walking in, the guy who's taking the ticket is like, check it out, check it out. I'm like, what? He's like, right there. And I turn around behind me, and I see like the, the door monolith. the door of a the monolith. I see the Stanley door Cooper. of a town car close. Uh-huh. And again, this is not like Fifth Avenue. This is like a neighborhood. Second Avenue and Twelfth Street. And um, it was Steven Spielberg was at the noon screen. Hey, that ain't bad. Yeah. Cool. And like by himself. And that's cool because he like he owns a print of 2001 yeah. and he's got a screening room. But he was like, you know what? I want to see Nolan's see version. 70. Yeah. 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 I want to see the Nolan On thing. Second yeah. Avenue by myself. Yeah. He was there alone, the guy said. He went and bought a ticket, sat for two hours and 40 minutes with the intermission. And- yeah. And then got fucking pierogies of Faselka. <laughs> he, he, no, and he probably dropped his bean right when he was supposed to so the lights could really get okay. him. I okay. can feel okay. it. Okay. Okay. I can feel it. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are uh, given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce. Baby, this is a mini-series on the films of Stanley Kubrick. Stanley it's Man. called Pods Wide Cast. Sure is. Today we're talking 2001 A Space Odyssey. Famous movie. More like 2001 A Good Movie. Wow. Mm. Texted that to the Doughboys at 3 a.m. You got a ha-ha. I got a ha-ha. You got a Weiger ha-ha. I got a Weiger ha-ha. Ha-ha. I I won't introduce our guest because he's already done it himself against my wishes. But I want to ask the Bean question because this speaks to why it felt like you were kind of the best guest for this. Aside from being like... Comedic potential, mm-hmm. we felt, yeah, for what could be a stodgy for. episode. Mm-hmm. You've already represented this, but uh, half of this. But you talk about the movie being bifurcated, right? Yeah. Between these weird, like, Hard opposing Hard sci-fi and forces. psychedelia. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a person who kind of contains those two. I mean, I think of you as a, a scholar of sci-fi. I love sci-fi. But also, you're, you're a giant fish head. I am into fish, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, you and, know, fish and covers... that whole scene. Yeah, but I don't do drugs. I know you don't do drugs. Wait, but what? I don't. From an expert opinion, for someone <laughs> yeah. who exists in these relax. worlds, huh? is there a moment, like, is is there a sync-up moment where you're supposed to uh, <clears throat> drop I the don't. bean, as it were? Yes, 100%. At the beginning of the movie? I don't know. No, no, like, no, no, no. Where are you supposed to drop it so that it... it, it I believe the so idea is when you get to the end, right. like, the light show really That's my, hits. My curiosity point yes. is, like, there must be a moment that has been identified i'm assuming you're out. like thinking acid yes the, i was the thinking class- jelly beans but the, yeah. right. <laughs> i believe that the classic thing was like people were going in being like okay so you want to do acid right. at this moment in the movie so yes. it's gonna really kick in when the light that's, show starts that's what i'm curious what and is I, the moment I, where i you- mean look Maybe the intermission it might be the like right after the intermission it's like because like the the, the light show is what Probably like half an hour into the second act yeah. or whatever. Second act is fifty-eight minutes with credits. Right. Yeah. It's usually about yeah. thirty. I, so minutes my guess to is it would be like, all right, when you come back from the intermission, go walk around. Lights that makes go sense. down again. That's when you want to oh, be for you know, sure. Yeah. You gotta burn one down in the intermission. <laughs> yeah. And the line is, I can feel uh, my brain is go- my mind is. What's the exact line? My mind is going. I can feel it. I can feel it. And then the oh, you mean the, you mean what Hal's saying? What Hal says? What Hal yeah. says? Yeah. So fish sober. 
Yeah, I know. It's it's part of what makes me interesting, hey, I suppose. Do I, you drink mead? I, I, you know, the truth of the matter is I don't even drink alcohol wow. at all. And that's not because of any... I just you're saying four fish or in general? In general, like I have really? like two beers a year now. So the meat, the meat on Beowulf was like that was a, a big deal. Rare, wow. No, I'll have a, my, I'll, have a I'll have a Heineken. Sure, like, Jordan, you, know, you ha- are high on life. Well, wow. I, you truly are. You I, always wow. have been as long as I've known and, but, you. Yeah, and you've there's just little, never felt like you know you know the honestly and ethnic food. Say again? You're high on life and ethnic food. You and uh, I both yeah, love. Like, regional, I you're like listen. I have my I have my vices. Oh, I no one's doubting that. But I, I remember, no, I mean, you, you know, the, jo- the truth, yeah, if sure. you want to be, I, you know, I'm, uh, it's just the three of us here. Nobody's listening. It's, uh, Producer my, Ben, please. There are four of us. What? One, two, th- I meant the three. Oh, with, oh the yeah, three. The uh, four of us in the you're room. looking at three, three men. Stooges. I yeah. mean, I, I, I used to drink like, not like two, like I never had a problem, but I used to be like a guy, hey, let's get some beers, man. Yeah. Get, get wasted and drink a bunch sure. of Heineken's. I can see that. I just don't do that anymore. Yeah. I, I can't say why. Maybe it's my, cause it hurts my tummy the next day and I take a terrible dump. I don't know. <laughs> but um everyone read Jordan's story about James Cameron making yeah, poop sometime I do, if you, you know, wish. People, you know what's funny? People get hangovers. Yeah. I don't get hangovers. I shit for a day and a half well, after I drink. Well, we are similar in this way. <laughs> yeah, you Man, do. Not are. just with the shitting. Pretty much if I do anything. If there's a strong gust of wind, I'll shit for a day and a half. Uh, um, so I, I, don't, I remember, though, before yeah. I even really knew you, but you would come into Videology Trivia singing. Singing. I remember several times oh. you walking into the background videology trivia where we'd all show up early to get a good table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember at least once or twice you walking in like singing. Talk about getting high on life. <laughs> well, You'd just be like singing to yourself, but not like quietly. It was probably a really good song that I was listening yeah. to in my head. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't really take drugs. I mean, I, 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 you know, in college I did. And well, so I wrote this article. Did you read the article? Do you know that I'm The article, the James Cameron article. There was an article I wrote about my relationship with drugs, panic attacks in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did, freshman year in college, take some drugs and I realized then it wasn't for me. Yeah. And I don't want to get into it too much. You can read. You the can article. read some thrillists, I believe. Yeah. Yep. So, like, part of my relationship with panic attacks had to do with seeing the movie two thousand and one, okay. very, very, very young, because I was into sci fi and I was, and the video box looked awesome, and my mother had seen um, two thousand one when it came out. Mm-hmm. And my father got it confused, by the way, with the Raquel Welsh one million years BC. Sure, look, yeah. they're both years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. It's like, oh yeah, Raquel Welsh, she's a doll. <laughs> and my mother's like, no, 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 you're confusing him. So we rented 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. and I was like, not, I wasn't that into it because I was like eight. Yeah. And I'm expecting Star Wars, and it's not. But I was watching it because it was still really cool, even on VHS for an eight year old. And then it got to the ending, and I f- had my baby's first panic attack, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and it, and I still and I didn't know why. And my mother was like, "Why are you, my son? Why are you freaking out? It's like the guys in a hotel, you know. Like it's not a nice hotel. Look, he's sitting in bed. He's an old man now." Uh, and I just, you know, the ending of this movie, which I think many people find disconcerting in a way yes. that you can't put your finger on. That's why it's such a fascinating ending. It was a touch point of nightmares for me for years. It, it makes sense. Um, and yeah. then this movie is frightening. It's like yeah. deeply well, frightening. Well, the music also that that uh, Georgi. L- <laughs> yeah. So the ending of that movie was, was that like you know some people some kids are afraid of Jason or or, yeah. or Freddy Krueger. I was um, terrified of the ending of 2001 for for reasons that I didn't know. And the movie was something that 
wasn't really something you could escape. For example, I'm a little kid, and I would watch uh, The Electric Company, I think sure. it was, and they did a parody of 2001 A Space yes. Odyssey. When I was a little older and getting into Monty Python, they did 2001 A Space Odyssey parodies. Um, uh, History of the World Part 1... I yes, feel like the yes, world. Yes, yes. Um, Sleeper, Woody Allen's Sleeper yes. has, I mean, Hal, the voice of Hal yeah. is in Sleeper, and, and a lot of the look is 2001. Um, so, like, it never, the movie never left me alone. As I got older and I kind of, con it sounds ridiculous to say, but I conquered my fear of, of Stanley no, Kubrick's 2001. Those, those childhood things yeah. are bigger to surmount than, like, whatever. You know, I also, like I mean, I saw the movie a little older than you. I think I was 12, but. Uh, like deeply, deeply upset by the ending. Yeah. And then I think when it, when it got like, to the baby, I was just like, what? Then I was just confused. <laughs> but I, I remember the ending really, really unnerving like me. And him you being saying, an old man like that, the sort the, of... The, the entire the nature of just like at the end of the universe, there is a room and you just age. Right, right, right And right, the right. whole vibe of it, I was just Hell like, yeah. truly, like this is my yeah, nightmare. This is the scariest thing to it imagine. It's scary, yeah. It's scarier yeah. than Jason and Freddy for some Absolutely. reason. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, what does it have to do with me being a freshman in college? Yeah, so I did have like a freak out. I, you know, I'm a freshman in college. I said, yeah. hey, man, let's smoke a little grass, man. Listen to the Almond Brothers. Hey, that's Hell cool. Yeah, that's dude. what we did. Fuck yeah, man. You know? <laughs> boop. Sure, sure. Boop. I'm sorry, did you go to college in 1968? <laughs> What's going on here? Hey, man, smoke a little tea. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Jordan <laughs> in the year 2000. It's like, hey, man. Everyone else is like, I got to get to the Lower East Side. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Hey man, I went Kate to college. Moss is running. I went, over, to, running NYU, you know, like no, I went a, to NYU. Yeah, you went and we to hang NYU. out in Paulette Goddard Hall. Sure, but dude, you like the almonds? Jordan's too? wearing a bandana around his neck like he's one of Ned Flanders' parents. Also, <laughs> as he's as he's miming smoking a tie stick. He's a real flat tire, man. <laughs> I mean, he's taking us on the way to Cubesville. It's like one uh, Ben loves short. Ned's parents so much. It's one uh, of your favorite Simpsons bits. It's kind of one of the greatest bits in all of it's comedy. It's so funny. And the fact that they take like eight seasons before they get to that or whatever it Do is. Do they ever show up again? They show up a couple times, it, but it's a couple there's a times, long right. runway before their first reveal. <laughs> like, true. they're so deep in on the Flanders thing. Um, so uh, you're anyway. smoking some grass in yeah, my and, and, you know, and you do say, there's this new thing, man, it's called uh, lysergic Definitely not a new thing. 25, <laughs> sure. man, take your bicycle ride, take your magic carpet ride. And um, I had some good experiences, and I had a particularly bad experience, and... yeah. Bad that trips bad, are rough. The mm. bad experience um, reminded me of, and then I had my 2000, like for some reason I was like, oh, I'm trapped in the movie. You're right back there. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is fucked up. Ben, have you had bad trips on acid and then been like, well, what are you going to do? And just kept rolling with like, because like, I feel like if I had a bad trip on acid, I'd be like, all right, acid's I mean, this going is in the drawer. The whole like, reason yeah. I don't do drugs either is just the panic attack thing of just like, the. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you were just kind of like, eh, what are you going to do? I, I mean. You ride it out. You ride it out. You, I'm a mind warrior, man. You know what can I say? The, the, well, the, and there's the, a new nickname. Put there's it on a your thing list. in um, update the Reddit in the, in the psychedelic community to which I am adjacent to, being a fish fanatic, even though I don't do drugs. About called set and setting, man. Yeah. And the problem I now realize with hindsight is that I was with some uncool people. Yeah. And the vibes were not right. And there was a guy in the room who. Yeah, it does my set a, and setting. I like that. Was a yeah. bit of a prick. And I should not have been in a position of emotional um, vulnerability. Vulnerability around this one guy. He was this British guy. Yeah, whatever. Who cares who he was? Um, but he was a he was not a nice person. And um, it made it was whatever. So the point is. 
Stanley Kubrick was a Jew from New York. Mm-hmm. From Arthur the Bronx. C- Arthur C. Clarke was a gay British man. Mm-hmm. And this movie is actually very, very funny if you know where to look. Yeah. Yes. Look, we've been... Uh, I don't know why he's clapping. This, well, because he nailed it. <laughs> he episode did nail over. It. He did nail it. Thank you all for listening. We've been recording this miniseries wildly out of order. I feel like more out of order than we little more out of order. Than, not out of not compared to our long ago past where we really didn't give a no, shit. No, no, but more but than we have in the last couple. We try to be more chronological. Right, we've been a little out of so order. So if if the evolution of my Kubrick opinions feels uh, out of whack, out of order in listening to this, it's because it's in the order I'm rewatching these movies. Sure. Where I feel like there are certain episodes where I'm saying like, well, obviously Kubrick doesn't have a sense of humor. Mm. And that was before I've rewatched some other films and felt this. But now that I fully come around to like, oh, Kubrick was funny. Like he's putting comedy into all of his films. Yeah. yeah. I did. This is the movie that I had always thought of maybe as being the least funny, not to a fault. But uh, well, it's, it's the lightest on dialogue. So, but I was, do yeah, agree know. with you that watching it oh, yeah. this, this time, I, I was more Hal's really funny. Hal's <laughs> funny. He's dry. Though. He's that like a Joe Para. He's like a great deadpan. Right. 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 Okay. Uh, look, I want to. Yeah. When did you? So you're saying you first saw it. I saw 12, 2001. My mother like 12, took me okay. to a re-release. You I saw, saw it in theaters. the theater. I saw it the in theaters. Wow. I was pretty sure. perplexed. I mean, it was a thing perplexed. of, and then you it know. Freaked you out. My, my mother is a, 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 a woman of the arts. You know, was always trying to expose me to more sophisticated uh, things. Uh, and so it was just this thing. You love movies. You love sci-fi. You love Star Wars. You need to see 2001. This is important. Sure. It was, it, you know, I, I was never kicking and screaming really about going to see a movie. But it was very much a thing that was like, I'm telling you this is important. This is like educational. And I was largely perplexed by it. It was one of those things where I was just kind of like, I, I don't. I just see? Yeah. Not, not like this doesn't make sense to me, but I'm just like, what is the value of this thing? Explain this to me. Um, and it, it's odd. I don't think I had seen it in full since then. What? But it was wildly a movie where I just remembered every line, every shot. Every image, every yeah. beat, even though I've only seen it once in theaters 20 plus years ago. And in my mind's eye, I'm just like, well, masterpiece, obviously. Like, yeah. it's one of those movies I never revisited. It sticks to the ribs. I mean, it really it sticks is. sticks to the ribs. Yeah. And I was able to totally reevaluate it in my head without rewatching it. And then yeah. watching it this time, I was like, yeah, correct. Great. 10 out of 10 masterpiece. But as, as a kid, I think I was so perplexed. I was a very literal minded kid. And so I think the last 20, 30 minutes in particular, just like totally, I went like, you need to explain this to me. Sure. And up until then, just the movie is so methodical, so slow, where it's just like, if you've seen Star Wars before you've seen 2001, and I was at maybe the wrong developmental stage in terms of not quite having the intellect to totally grapple with it yet... I was just like, why is this movie taking 15 minutes to open a <laughs> that, door? See, that's the problem with me as a kid. Like, yeah. I undiagnosed ADD. Hi- I was right. just like, ah, 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 <laughs> oh, something's got to happen. Like, my dad, I remember him. Because your dad's a big these, sci-fi guy. He loves sci-fi. Loves and like, he's kind of a hard sci-fi guy. Yes, 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 yes yeah. exactly. So this was like a really big moment for us. Right. I don't remember exactly How which, old eight were you? or seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're probably a little young. Right? Yeah. And sits me down, and I I, cu- I couldn't do more than fifteen. Like, or yeah. maybe I made it through the monkey section because the monkey section is kind of fun. Yeah. Fun. But yeah. once we get to space, I just remember I was like, 
I just could not pay attention. To it's no, very, I, I mean, it's very. I did you watch yeah. it like in chunks? Maybe like he would. No, he was, I was it like, was just like I got to go. I'm out. Right, right, yeah, right. and then came back to it later. Well, you know, it's funny. Man. My 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 wife had never seen it, and you know, I had the DVD or the, maybe even the Blu-ray, and I was like, let's. She's like, you got to watch it, and she had trouble watching it at home, and she did fall asleep, and then yeah. I dragged her to see it. At it's, a screening, she's it, like, oh, sure. my God, it's in so In a theater, good. obviously. Yeah. It's sort of a yeah. special. Have you ever seen it in a theater, Ben? Yeah. 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 I saw it at uh, Village East. Yeah. Not that, I mean, a few I'll, years back. I'll say this, too, like, I, because my memory was, as a kid, like, this is taking forever. Like, everything in this movie, tap in the watch, right? Even when things were, like, happening. Why yeah. is it all happening so slowly? Um, rewatching this, I found it. A surprisingly brisk watch. I find this movie weirdly kind of totally like it agree. moves faster than I remembered it moving. As much as it is very patient and slow and methodical and process driven in every single thing it does, yeah. it didn't feel laborious because it's always beautiful. Like and even when it's, it's so even relaxing. if it's just like the pod slowly yes. getting Frank Poole's body, yeah. It just is gorgeous to I look found at. It so Did you watch it on amazing. HBO Max just the other night? I watched. Or? I got the. I got. I got a 4K steelbook. You got the steelbook. Yeah. I got a 4K steelbook. Titans of Cult yeah. UK import. Well, I Came watched it last night on uh, Home Box Office Maximum, and uh, it looked great. Yeah. I, I actually great. I actually peeked on that because I was wanted to rewatch a clip and hey man, it's good on, on it. It's truly it an immaculate awesome. restoration without looking like artificially yeah. cleaned up. 100%. Yeah. I am similar to Ben in that my dad loved this movie more than almost any movie. So when he showed it to me too young. Yeah. Not that I had a problem with it, but like like you, but like he clearly was just kind of like, I don't know, you're you're probably old enough to handle this. Like he was just desperate to show it to me and I think I made it at seven, all the way through. I liked Hal. The Hal story was compelling to me. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, that's something a kid can get. Like, the robots turned bad. They have to get the... And then I think after that, my dad was sort of like, okay, the rest is going to be... It's not going to work for you. But right? Which is weird, because there's nothing scary. And no, it's just no, no, a light. Not scary. I think he just, oh, just thought bored, I would completely yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, or just not get it. Yeah, I, which, seeing in theaters, where there it. was intermission, and we walked out, and I had to like check in with my mom afterwards. I was like, so now the plot starts? <laughs> like the, the, the structure of this movie is so strange, and the placement of the intermission. Yeah. The way there's two and a half hours, which is long, but yeah. usually intermission is like... I mean, this is now the third movie we've covered with an intermission this year. Sure. Right, sure. and the other two are like three hours plus. Yeah, it's a short movie for an intermission. It's Wait, a short what's movie the other for an Spartacus and what? Sweet Charity has an intermission. Sure does. Oh wow. Yeah, and so does Barry Lyndon. We're getting to that. Yeah, well, that's we'll a long ass movie. Yeah. Right. Um. But, but the intermission comes at the moment where like the plot kicks kind into of, gear. Yeah. Like the whole yeah. movie is set up, and then at the end of like two hours, but an hour and a half, the movie says like, and now here's the conflict. Yeah. Here's, I like, think the real it's like finally something the is, best you know, intermission break of all. It's I love so, the actual so cut. It's, it's the, the break. It's, it's the Hal's moon. watching. No, it's Hal's no, watching it's them talk. The lip sync. Oh, okay. They it's, have their whole okay. conversation, and then they cut to. Hal's POV of their lips moving and, and then it goes oh, to shit. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. Bowman says like Incredible. the tune of you know, I don't think a how I don't think a, a nine thousand series has ever been uh dismantled before and I right. don't know how he'll take it. Cut to Hal's POV and you realize Hal's watching him, oh shit. And it's like, oh, a story plot. There's a There's concrete... the only little bit of story before that is the you know, the with the Russians, the Clavius base, uh, he's lying but, about the you know, that's yeah. the the and, old, and the monolith itself, but it's so abstract. We're just like yeah, I've I, watched it drive a couple different creatures crazy. Yeah, 
and or destroy them. But like, right. And you can, right. but you're, but you're so overwhelmed by the look even today. I mean, now you look at it from a retro future point of view, Yeah. but to see it in 1968, to see the, when he's on the moon base, he's making the video call and all that stuff. It's just like so overwhelming to look at. You can understand wanting to keep it plot light because absolutely it's just all in the in the imagery and in just the you know the world building to use that annoying expression i, I mean and, i remember my mom saying to me like when i was like why is this so fucking <laughs> slow yeah. as a dumb dumb 12 year old right and she was like you have to understand people hadn't seen these things on screen or they hadn't seen them done this well yeah or feel this real and tangible yeah so like it, it there was a lot of mileage out of just putting this stuff up that was thrilling yeah. to people, right? And also, Star Wars hadn't come out. No sci-fi movie moved fast. Right, right. That's true. I mean, All for- space was slow, basically, <laughs> you know? And yeah, even, space was slow. Even when you watch films yeah. that are not hard sci-fi. Yeah, like are, Forbidden Planet or something. Right, they yeah. are slower-moving movies. Like, that was the big... In a way, arguably, the single most pioneering element of Star Wars was Lucas being like, we can move fucking fast. Here. Yeah, we don't have to. Everything in space doesn't have to be sort of floaty, yeah. freeform silence, whatever. Um, but watching it now, I was sort of like expecting to through the prism go like, I now appreciate, understand why this film is so slow because of value it had at the time. How exciting this was to an audience. And now I'm like, no, this is still captivating. Yeah, it's captivating is a really good way Viewing of it from it. the mind's eye of what if I was watching this in the 60s. These days, for me, it's like if a movie looks good and 2001 is like the best looking movie, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'll look at this. Yeah, I'll I'm, fucking. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I'm not bored. Every shot is, is gorgeous. And like, yes. you know, the influence it's had on design over the years is still being oh. felt. I mean, wouldn't it be funny if there was one really bad shot in this movie? That's or there's hilarious. just like someone with toilet paper on their boots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or Bowman kind of going like, Ooh. what? One. That's true. They're, they're really... One shot in 2001 was done on an iPhone. Can you guess which one? <laughs> right. There is one. There is. That's a really good point. There's no clam. There's no, no. wrong no. note. No. Visually, yeah. uh, no. there's absolutely nothing. And you know what's famously? He also makes someone walking out of a like walking through the door. You're like, well, this is Thrill. magisterial. Like, yeah, you know, she's going to upside down to, to well, deliver the Seabrook could... Farms uh, pureed spinach. Right. You know, she sure is. I love. I love this that... movie has like 15 minutes of Skype, and it's pretty compelling. Like, I mean, I love that of all the of all the um, product placement, it's like brands that are you know IBM, yeah, and um, uh, I, you know uh, Pan Am, you know yeah. big big brands, and then Seabrook Farms spinach. Oh my right. god, right. yes, I know. I wrote down Howard Johnson's. Yeah, Howard, yes. Johnson's. Howard Johnson's. Hey, man. That's hot one. stuff back then. But, but it is funny. Like after this, there's a wave of imitators, right? And they oh, like sure. slow it down, and they're yeah. like really in love with their own effects. Mm. And then even post Star Wars, the post Star Wars boom of sci-fi movies from the studios bear more resemblance yeah. to this than Black to Star Hole, Wars. Star Black Trek Hole, One, Alien, Star Alien. Trek One. You know, but the things even two, like 2069 a sex odyssey. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yep. Huge it actually is actually very influenced by this film. People the things don't mention leading that. up to this, like Silent Running, Capricorn One, and mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. Like they're they're all slower and like we talked about Black Hole in a recent episode where I'm like, the look of that movie is incredible. The vibes are amazing. I've never been able to watch it without falling asleep. It's very boring. I've never made it to the end. The music's good. Every time I watch it, I'm like, At the end, they fall into the black hole. They're kind of like... Feels so incredible. How is this not viewed as a masterpiece? And then 20 minutes later, you're like, this is why, because I'm asleep. I'm well, asleep. I'm dreaming about... Black Hole about- is also one of those things where you're like, the vibes, as you say, are immaculate and the design is good. And then there are the two Disney robots with faces. Yes. And that's wow. the thing where it's like, that's what I'm saying about 2000. Like, imagine if those yeah. guys were in 2001. Yeah, no. Just it's like re- a floating robot with a face. But that, like all these other things, Pickens. like, you know, I 
You love Star Trek the Motion Picture. I do. I you yeah. do as well. I watched it for the first time for this podcast. I enjoyed it a lot. I recognize it's not for everyone. It, the, <laughs> the slowness of that film yeah. feels more self-indulgent than this does. And yes. that is 10 years after this. <laughs> but I, right? Like yeah, every I other movie so. that tries to do this afterwards, can't you're like, look, can't do it. They can't can't do it. I, no, and you're I, like, this, the image is actually I love you. the slowness of motion picture. Yeah. I do but, too. We, but, you, but we're not normal. We're maybe we're not normal, but yeah. I also think it's it's not that that movie is profoundly slower. It's that Kirk and Spock are there, and you're kind of like, why aren't Kirk and Spock right. doing anything? Why be are Kirk, they just sitting Spock. and watching yeah. this? Like, stop looking at. But it also, and uh, once again, I like the film as well. All right, all right. Is a movie where it's like Robert Wise is just kind of like blown away by the effects, right? That's the most expensive movie ever made up until that point in time, and he's just like. We fucking paid for this shit. We should show as much of it as we can. Rules. Whereas 2001, there's this bizarre, the Kubrick control thing. Yeah. Where you're like, what is it about every single image in this movie that just kind of like has you gripped in an uneasy sort it's, of it's, like fascination? What What's also interesting, of course, is that there is another cut that none of us will see. The debut of the, the premiere of the film, which was in D.C., had 11 and a half minutes more or something that Kubrick cut after the first showing yeah and there's also a prologue that i believe was shot but then thrown away of all the interview stuff yeah they tacked it onto lord of the rings actually yeah. <laughs> it was just that there's it's one a, of the end there's yeah, I, there's yeah, yeah, a yeah. prologue of um where kubrick interviewed celebrated people in the sciences including carl sagan wow. who actually hated who, d- who disliked like the experience and yeah. He, yeah. he and kubrick clashed um but uh, what will life be like in 2001? And then these eggheads said, well, in 2001. To try to contextualize the movie is like, this is legit. We talk to real people. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's like, well, in 2001, we shall all use computer terminals and it will be you know, <laughs> marvelous for e- education. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Jeez, I think light was, my fire. Why don't you? Well, I think it was even shot in black and white or something. I yeah. There's, of course, the, the, the great book for anybody who's interested in 2001. It's one of the great making of books is Michael ben- Michael Benson. Yeah, uh, George Benson. No, George no, Mike, Benson's isn't the Michael Benson. Michael Benson's book on two thousand one uh, is yep. it's called Space Odyssey. It's, yeah, it's a phenomenal mm-hmm. book, and it it's, gets it's also like it's everything. It's all in there. It's a very definitive. It's definitive. You know, it's soup book. to nuts from the first yeah. meeting of Clark and Kubrick to um, to the premiere, which. Clark didn't really dig the premiere, and there was Clark and Kubrick have clashed over the years, yeah. um, but then both realized that they were good for one another. Um, yeah. And of course, Clark wrote three sequels and was involved in 2010 and wrote a really fun book called A uh, 2010 Odyssey File about the making of 2010. And what I love about that, because that book came out like 83 or whenever 2010, the year we made contact came out, uh, it includes he, Peter Hyams was the director of 2010, and it includes his correspondence with Hyams, and it was done through electronic mail. Oh, wow. And it has, and the first one, so the chapter that introduces it is like, first I will explain to you, email. You've heard of mail? This is email. And And there's like five pages that are just a chain letter. (laughs) Forward, 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 forward. (laughs) So it's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. That's Um, that's wild. Yeah, so um, what's your, uh, do you think, Griffin, Mm. will artificial intelligence eventually become sentient? Will it have rights? Do you think a robot or a computer system like HAL can become so intelligent that to deny it 
uh, rights would be wrong, would be uh, immoral. Uh, well, Griffin, you're asking a couple different questions here. Yeah, I I think we will reach a point where that level of intelligence and independent thought, as it were, yeah. you know, maybe even a semblance of feelings, are are achieved. And it would be immoral to deny yeah. them rights. My question is, do we ever grant them rights? Ah. In a time where uh, our government, a large uh, segment of the population still feels obsessed with uh, denying the rights and existence of many types of human beings. I understand what you're saying. I, yes. I wonder. I wonder. But it's like, I mean, even just look, the last fucking six months, you watch the arc of these AI art generation bots. Yeah, yeah. It is wild. You watch how quickly they've been like iterating. Yeah. And how much it's gone from being this weird thing of like, how weird, these robots don't understand the prompts we're giving them. And they're like pulling weird Google images and making these bizarre nightmare images to now just being like, that looks pretty good. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That looks pretty good. It's the ultimate joke of this movie too, which is just Kubrick like recognizing the folly of like, you're really going to create a thing yeah. with the sort of intent of it taking care of us and and being able to sort of like oversee us at a level of intelligence and expect that it won't eventually realize that you are in fact the problem, <laughs> that you are the yeah. bottleneck, that you are the thing that is preventing perfection, well, that this, you this is have assigned of, it to identify. One know? of the great questions of 2001 is what, what does, first of all, does Hal malfunction or is he faking it? Right. And if he's faking it, why is he faking it? Because he was maybe programmed to fake it, right? But why would he have been programmed to fake it? We can get into it. I want to get into it. Okay. I want to open that door. I want to rotate. Open. You want to open the pod? Let me, let me just leave that door ajar. Okay. Oh, shit. Give you a little. Doors open. Con let's, let's, let's just roll back slightly yeah. on yeah, yeah. why this movie was even Crack made. Crack open the dossier. Um, post Doctor Strange Love, sci fi is pretty hot getting hotter i yeah. would say as a genre in general but it, but it's a lot of like fantastic voyagey sort of yeah, sci-fi sure yeah good movie. Uh, good movie it is a good movie um fun movie and uh artie shaw who's a jazz musician you love jazz i love it as much as fish and a pal of stan's name says, of my dead therapist why don't you read arthur c Clarke's books he's the best one he's the best sci-fi writer there is he gives Kub in the book childhoods and kubrick does this kind of classic thing he's done many times and will continue to do many times after here where he's like no one's ever made a good version of this movie right i want to make, make the sci-fi the movie. one right. good one um and uh he reads childhood's end he likes it he's like maybe i'll do this but someone has the rights so he's mm -hmm. kind of like yeah at some point he sits down with roger Karras, who's at columbia at that point and he's like i'm kind of looking for a novelist i could collaborate with on a sci-fi movie and that guy also says why waste your time just do the you, you work with the best arthur c clark yeah stop dick but around. kubrick is like doesn't that guy live in sri lanka isn't he a wacko you know uh -huh. like that is the fear with our because already then he's already like you said he's already gone uh, and they start uh, writing letters. And as you say, Griff, his letter is, I've wanted to discuss with you the possibility of doing the proverbial really good science fiction movie. That's the famous line you always hear about his genesis of this movie, where it's like... <laughs> what if this, it was a good one? Right. Yeah, it's just... Really good. Really good. Yeah. The proverbial really good science fiction movie. But I think it's the combination of him being like, no one has done the diamond hard sci-fi film yeah the intelligent sci-fi film done at a level and also executed the effects and the aesthetics and at he, a level. he watched he screened every sci-fi movie he could find and there were some that he liked 
mm-hmm. that he admired. He admired the Czech film Ikari XB1, which people have got to see. It's 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 uh it's out Ikari XB1. For a while it was a hard movie to find. Now the DVD's out there. Um I think um I forget which company put it out. But um he yeah, he never saw a science fiction movie that he thought really clicked. The, the combination of getting right the the technology, the resources, the ideas, the verisimilitude. He just felt like, yeah, there's there's a film that no one has made or been able to make. Um yeah. Um he likes the short story The Sentinel that Clark wrote. So mm-hmm. that's what they're obviously going off of. The book 2001 is written for the movie basically i did read it they wrote it simultaneously so but it's it's going off drafting off of the sentinel well the sentinel sort of had a gen the germ of the idea it's got a monolithy thing it's got a monolithy thing i think it was a pyramid in that um so uh while they're making while they're doing pre-production in london building the moon landing and all that clark is at the chelsea hotel banging away at his keyboard uh and he was having a whole his life was an interesting life. And if you read the Benson book, um, his uh, boyfriend at the time was, I was in Sri Lanka making films of like, like undersea films or whatever, scuba films and um, taking all of Arthur C. Clarke's cash. So Arthur C. Clarke wow. was like a vagabond <laughs> living at the Chelsea hotel, writing 2001 at the same time the sets are being built and they kind of were on the same page, but there are some differences. And I mean, they did the, dif- disagree on some things. The details things. are complicated, but it was sort of like Kubrick saw this was a guy who didn't had no experience writing in the script format. Kubrick also was kind of agnostic about screenplays. Yeah. Where he was just like, the ideas are more important. Yeah. This format is unimportant. I want to iterate ideas sort of organically until they get to the place I want them to. So he sort of encouraged Clark to write it in novel form, write it as prose. And then he was sort of like, I can adapt this into a screenplay as you're writing it. There's sort of questions as to whether Kubrick was responsible for any of the prose in the novel and or if Clark was responsible for any of the actual screenplay. But the two of them were being done in tandem and this was sort of the root of their rift was that the movie was kind of held hostage by the book and vice versa. Where it's like a weird way to do it. Kubrick is sort of taking there's pieces. No, there's very little, few parallels to the way right. they wrote He's taking this, prose yeah. and then going to Trumbull and, and art directors and people and going like, what can we build around this? And then Clark is saying like, you need to tell me what you're doing on the movie because I can't release a book that is so different from the film. So he's waiting to hear back what Kubrick has done so he can rewrite the book. And there was this fight about when the book could be published in relation to the movie because also Clark, like, needed the fucking money. Yeah. He's also sold the, like, this book. Yeah, well, it it actually worked out. Clark wanted the book to come out first, and I think he was he he should be glad that it didn't because the movie, of course, is very ambiguous. And everybody's like, what the fuck did I just see? And then the book comes out. And people were like, and this. People went and bought the book in droves. It was the screen ran ending explained of well, its time. Uh, I'm that's joking. A little rough, but there is some truth I'm to that. I'm being facetious. There, there are some elements of the movie that can leave you scratching your head that are explained in the book. Yes. 
For example, yes, the book is a little more straightforward. For example, like true. the the room that they're in, the ho- the it's yeah. like a human zoo. Yeah, yeah, it's a human zoo. The, the, the aliens uh, created it for him, thinking that it was supposed to be a hotel room. It actually yeah, is supposed it, to be a hotel it's, room. And- it's why the ending of AI being considered a Spielberg thing has always amused me so much. Because I'm like, the ending of AI is so similar to the ending so of similar. 2001. It's like at the yeah. end, it's the far future, and aliens or in AI, it's robots are like, it will make you a. Yeah. You know, come on, this isn't like your life. Look, nice room for you to be in. It's yeah. also the thing I love about both these eddings and why I find them so unnerving and upsetting is like you have a basically normal looking set that through the context of what you built up in that film feels terrifying. Yeah. Like yeah. that room on its own is not really scary. In the same but way that the AI something so incongruous bedrooms. about the furniture right. and the floor and like it's yeah. so But spooky. also just editing you're like we've moved past me feeling comfortable seeing a room like this. Yeah. That now cutting to this set feels terrifying. <laughs> you know AI it, you're going back to the same sets you've seen the whole movie yeah. in the first like act. But now it's just like, why is this happening this far in the future? You know, it's funny you mentioned the editing because, and we were talking for a while now about how 2001 is kind of slow. There are editing choices in this film that are just so, that are so jarring. And there's a couple of them specifically. For example, uh, when they go down on the moon, on Tycho, when they walk down into the, where the monolith is, it goes handheld. And the movie, you know, the movie has been classic Kubrick up to this point. Everything is a Mm-hmm. Locked off, square, very symmetrical, you know, hyper stylized, and then it's documentary style for like ninety seconds, and then that weird sound happens. It's so freaky; it freaks you the hell out because you're not used to. It. There's even lens flare while they're walking down the staircase. It, it's this wild back pocket thing of Kubrick's past as a documentary sure. filmmaker, photojournalist that he'll like whip out as a secret weapon in these very controlled movies. 100%. And it becomes that much more unnerving where you're like, why is the camera doing this? You've established rules and now you're breaking Exactly, them. yeah. yeah. And, and now we're in. And then also there's like some dissolves, like uh, right before the, the, the before the, Beyond the Infinite when Floyd is talking and then it dissolves. And there's also another dissolve when he comes back in the ship and he's about to yes. kill, he's about to kill Hal and it's a shining shot. Yeah. Because he's looking, he's, oh, you can almost see the axe, you know, he's kind of, the face is right in the camera and the shot from below and it's handheld again. And then of course, the craziest use of editing is when Hal kills Poole, the cut, 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 cut. Yeah. And, uh, on the eye, boom, you know, or whatever it is that Hal can see. Um, His face. Those 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 unusual edits are just like ah, just it just grabs you by the not to mention. I mean the the bone match cut. Oh yeah, which is like so much less precise than you remember. I know it's a little less, but it's so evocative. Well, and just the the switch in sound and the switch in movement from something uncontrolled. You know the bone yes. is like to this like very control, and also it's a bone. So Ben's so excited. here's something right. else that I didn't know until reading the book or ben reading is about it. Ear to ear, is, I'm wearing a bones hat. Yeah. You are wearing a bones hat. The, the maybe you guys put it together, but the cut for years I thought it was like the bone is a tool. You throw it up in the air, you cut forward in time, and it shows spaceships. Look at what man has achieved. But specifically, those first images you see in space, those are nuclear weapons. Mm. Right. Um, I never knew this until I read about this kind of recently. And apparently, if you look really close, there are flags on there. There's a Chinese flag, Chinese army flag and Mm. stuff. So it's supposed to be like weapons of the past, weapons of the future. And there's supposed to be a ring of nuclear 
bases, you know, pointing their weapons down at Earth. That's what those first shots are before you see the Pan Am jet going to the 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 space station. And then at the end, when the Star Child comes at the end, you don't see those weapons anymore. And in the book, oh, interesting. In the, book, in the screen rant, he, the Star Child blows it up. Yeah. The Star Child disarms. They thought Earth. of doing that in the movie, and they thought it would be too goofy. It is a little goofy. It's and a little goofy. It, but did you guys catch that those were weapons in in no. orbit? No, I didn't. No. I never knew that. I watched the movie. You know, twenty five years later is when I found this it's out because it's not mentioned. I don't know. It's hard Just, to know. Because also, how would we know the difference between that and spaceships? Exactly. They all kind of look the same. Exactly. So Kubrick fucked up. All right. I want to talk about Bones a little bit, but first, you yeah. know, okay, he go, he gets the whatever. They make this script in this very strange way. They yes. go to MGM. MGM gives them money, $6 million. Hey, that's a decent amount of money to make a movie. Absolutely. Um, Half the chunk of change. But a- it's everyone... going to be called Journey Beyond the Stars. Not a great title. It's kind of For a boring film. title. It's all right. They they landed on a good title, I would say. It, it, wasn't there also a How the Galaxy Was Won? Was how, like the, how the Solar System Was Won. I think that they, that was even sort of half earlier. Joking. Yeah. Yeah. They were, when they were trying to figure out what it would be about. Yeah. It was going to be kind of about this colonization of space or something. I was surprised, though, reading the quotes for how deliberate this movie is that everyone was like, he was just kind of making it up as you went along. As much as like it, part of it is that the book, the source material is being generated in real time as yeah. they're prepping the movie. Because there's, 22 months in total from when he reaches out to Arthur C. Clarke and is like, what if we tried to write something together to the movie coming out? Yeah. And most of that time is production. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's really like building it. Well, the script's probably, what, 10 pages long? On its feet, yeah. <laughs> you know, scene one, the sun rises. All right, but scene like, two, some monkeys bash oh, around. All, all right, this we're moving like, on. And, Above and the line, there's a monolith. people are what? like, I never worked like this before where you'd come in and be like, I don't know, something like this. And they're like, what's the scene? What's the deadline? When are we shooting this? And he's Which like, Which is what's I don't so know. amazing because, and part of what the fascination this film has for me, I mean, I've now that I've been, I'm a little older and I've been around the movie hey. biz for a while, I know how the sausage is made. Yeah. I still believe in my heart of hearts that if I watch 2001 enough times, I will come away with some deep, resonant understanding about the universe. Yeah. <laughs> like, I believe the secrets of life are locked in this film. I know it sounds really corny, and I sound like some of the wackos from Room 237, but if there's ever a movie where I feel like there is the answers to life, the universe, and everything, it's somehow in this film. I think this and- movie is also the reason why... Kubrick has that weird sure. mythology godlike sort of. I mean, I don't think people would invest as much into The Shining if this movie didn't 100%. exist. Hundred percent, because it does feel like this is a movie made by someone who knows everything and isn't telling us exactly. Right. And then, and then the more you read about the production, it was like a little bit of like just chaos. It's like one of the you know? fucking modern Mission Impossible movies, like <laughs> where McQuarrie's like, I don't know, give me like four locations no, and we'll but, write scenes on the day. Hundred percent, because like when they're shooting, Kubrick's like. What if they went to Saturn instead of Jupiter? And they're like, Saturn? That's what just the got fuck rings. are you talking I, about? I, I, we're going to have to paint the rings? What right. are we going to do? And Kubrick's like, I don't know. Give it a shot. And like, you know, it's a total disaster. And they have to switch back to Jupiter and all that. Yeah. Like, you, and know. you know, for a guy whose movies are so precise, he was a bit of a mess. I mean, originally when they were working on the script, they would work in his apartment in Manhattan. And in the Michael Benson book, they talk about how Clark couldn't handle it because his kids were running around. There was yeah. ca- He was a big, loud, gregarious New York Jew. People think of Kubrick as being British because he lived in English his whole life, right. but he, he talked like this. He was like, I don't it's know. It's so make funny it, when you watch Saturn, the interviews you know? with him and he's like, he, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a wonderful uh, puzzle and enigma. There, there's a, a quote from one of his daughters in the dossier about how he'd always throw these uh, dinner parties 
and for his cast and crew that was like his way of understanding how to reach out to people and connect to them because he was by all accounts not a very conventionally mm. social guy and that he liked being a host and everything but they weren't these like sort of lavish like Wes Anderson eating at the <laughs> finest restaurant dinner parties he, his daughter was like I think my father always had this secret dream of being like a short order cook <laughs> And you hear about these dinner parties and they sound like the fucking rats working in the kitchen in Muppets Take Manhattan. Like he liked the chaos of like flipping six <laughs> things <laughs> over <laughs> and the kids running around and yelling and all That's that sort awesome. of shit. And like and then hosting everyone that way. They also said uh, he, he would like go to sleep at three o'clock in the morning, wake up at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like wow, all, yeah. all this sort of meticulous, refined warlock sort of shit is just like, yeah, it does seem like right. he was. I thought I thought what you said was wrong and I'm. I, I, okay, so uh, production kicks off 21 months after... Production starts okay, 21 sorry, months after sorry, he starts sorry, working on the script. Sorry, uh, And it was budgeted for five, but it cost 12. Yes. So it went way over budget. Uh, the production was massive. You know, cameras would be shooting on describe what's described as a 24-hour shift. So I guess people are, like, coming in and out to operate the cameras. Uh, you know, like I said, there's, like... 200 special effects which is completely unheard of for a movie in 1968 so they have to figure out every single step of that in advance but then Kubrick is throwing things at them uh, to change it uh, it, it is crazy like it's just what you guys were saying it's just crazy that this movie which feels so tightly controlled was not but they're kind of inventing everything when they make this movie yeah. right they're inventing special C effects certainly in terms of yeah process and everything I, I think it's important to remember like there are shots in this movie that you don't even think about that are just like of screens of just like digital like, boop, 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 yeah. like those are not those are not computer generated images those are all hand painted yes. or hand created because it didn't exist back then uh, the, you know the the technology now like even in like Star Trek 2 those yeah. those images are all hand done. What's you know? the movie? Is it Coma is the one that has the CGI hand on a screen? That's the first CGI in a movie that sounds ever. Right. Coma as the first CGI movie sounds Coma. like some trivia. I think really? it's the Michael like Douglas. Catmull scanned wow. his hand and made it into a wireframe image. And like someone bought it for like $25,000. And that's the first CGI image. Huh. And like then Star Wars has the one screen where like general dadana is showing mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the wireframe right but it's like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Like 10 years away being able to even do that as you said every time there's like what looks like a computer generated wireframe image in this movie it is a painted thing yeah and there are a lot of them a lot of them yeah it's incredible it's like anime it's like traditional animation yeah yeah i mean just think about the the, the first shot on the discovery it's of pool going sideways, mm. you know, ar going around the perimeter, yes. you know, the, the equator of the screen, if you will, taking a jog with the camera locked down inside. I don't think there'd ever been a shot like that. And the reason why it's held for so long is because audience members would just be like gasping, like, what yeah. am I seeing? How are they doing but this? Like, you know? I mean, it's trite to say it millions, but like, it looks good now. Like, right. there's <laughs> trite card. Like, there's no, I, there's nothing improvable about it. No, even right? watching it like, today, I'm like, I don't know if there's a movie that, a sci-fi movie that looks more real to me than this. Yeah. And I can yeah. read about and watch and study all the process things and hear the explanation of how it was done. But when I'm watching it, I'm like, this, no, this just feels like it was really shot in space. I understand what the tricks are more so than any other. Right, but it still looks like they were in space. Yeah. It just looks, well, the answer is they went to space. Man, the design aesthetic, like, the VFX, or I guess I'm calling them VFX, yeah, they're the painted, VFX. but whatever. Yeah. But like even the font, yeah, it still it's looks 
so like not even contemporary ahead of its time. What if the still. font if the font was Comic Sans, would this movie not even have a legacy? <laughs> it would take me out a little bit. <laughs> the font really is, I mean, on the zero gravity toilet shot. I mean I think it's hell's so... malfunctioning. Why speaking do you say which... that? He's speaking in wingdings. Yeah, <laughs> that would um, be good. That'd be good. I got, you know, it's funny that we're talking about this. Black movie. square triangle bird. I don't know. What is a wingding? Airplane. No. We talk about hard sci-fi. There is the you know America was not ready for the zero gravity toilet, but Kubrick gave it to them anyhow. Kubrick gave it to them. Now and, here's and, a and question that, about that. Also feels like that's that's a little like there's a little sly humor in yeah, that. A little wink. Oh, for sure. I mean, but it's also fairly it's provocative to put a if toilet. If an astronaut in a movie. like goes and talks to a high school, what's the first? Oh quest? my god! Yeah. How do you how do you, be in space? How do you go to the bathroom in space? How do you make? Hey, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I want to know how does it work. It's like a suction device because you got gravity. Okay, so here this is part of my thing. Gravity is like in the instructions, right? Mm. It's like number five: hold on to your nuts. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because it's gonna be like, yeah, exactly. I mean, you've seen For All Mankind, right? I'm I'm obsessed with For All Mankind. Wonderful show. show. You'd. I think you'd like oh, it. Oh, the show. I No, I've not it, seen the show. The movie's obviously the, yeah. the movie's classic yeah. documentary yeah. is a masterpiece. Yeah. But um, And that has a thing, not to spoil, but it's early in For All Mankind, part of the, you know, the idea is what if the Russians won the space race and we stayed in it, right? Yeah. Or they, well, the Russians beat us to the moon and so the space race continued. And one of the early things that happens is they're like, okay, well, let's get a woman on the moon. Like, you know, we gotta, let, we'll just try and beat them anywhere we can. And they're getting a woman in there uh, into one of the Apollos and then they're like, Shit, she's gonna have to pee. We didn't think of this. Yeah, like because like we haven't invented that yet. Like, yeah. cool. it's a it's a whole it's a whole storyline. Cool. Anyway, you know stuff like, like that it. happens. It's a great show. Yeah. Anyway, zero gravity toilets. Look, a big thing that's interesting <laughs> about two thousand and one. Yeah, and I think you'll all agree. Uh huh. Is for a movie to have this kind of a budget. Uh, you know, Kubrick is a big director. It has no stars. No stars. No, no barely identifiable actors. Let's like say it, it has a galaxy of stars. Uh, well, <laughs> that's true. It's full of stars. But um, you know, Kira, like he's Kira not hitching a, an is actor off onto of this. David and Lisa, correct? Which was sort of a, an indie, an early American indie breakout. Yeah, but it's maybe equivalent to like if Christopher Nolan cast like the other guy from Primer as right. Batman. Exactly. Right. Right. And like, obviously, this is not an actor's picture. Like, yes. it's not like there are roles for actors that are absolutely outrageously juicy. Sure, sure. But you would think like, oh, I, you know, OK, I'll help the studio. You know, we'll get a name. Especially in uh, what's Haywood, the sort of early fake out lead, the sort Haywood of. Haywood Floyd. Yeah, the guy who plays Floyd. I don't even his know. His name is William Sylvester. I, obviously. He's he... best known for his role as Dr. Haywood Floyd. <laughs> okay. 2001. I mean, space thing, all three of these guys. Gary Lockwood, like... though, who plays Bowman. He's no, very he plays good. Pool. He's pool. He's pool. Bowman is Kier Delis. Right. Is Bowman. I apologize. Yeah. yeah, Gary. Well, you like Gary Lockwood because he's in. He's, he's in, in Star in, Trek. Uh, Star Trek. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, had a great. Has had a great kind of journeyman actor career. Yeah, they all both were good. Stripes. But but actually, you're right. Kier Delay is is um is really damn good in this. His his he's phenomenal. His scene work, if you will, with Hal. Um, they're both. I think everyone's really good. They're, they're, you yeah, can't yeah. read what he's no thinking. You know, he's like no. You know, and that scene. They're the, really the only real scene in the movie as a traditional like acting moment is when Hal is slyly doing the psychological test on him and they're playing games a little bit you can't read his face and then Hal has his moment of of you know does he have a malfunction he goes just a moment just a moment yeah you know which is so scary um and that's a 
key thing. Like, what is going? What really is going I mean, on there? Cure Delay, like, yeah, breaks down Dave and Lisa, which is this like small sort of like searing yeah. relationship drama set in a funny farm if i may use that expression yeah yeah it was almost like a, is that a, is that a politically insensitive term now funny I farm i don't know but it's like it, almost like a, a mumblecore movie of its time it's sort of a post cassavetes kind of like oh this is raw this is real people communicating with each other kind of thing tonally to put him in this is odd. He's mostly a theater actor. He does a run of movies after this. But then, like, pretty much by the 70s, he's like, I don't like movies. I'm going back to theater. Mm. And he, like, does 2010. He is in 2010. He'll occasionally Not pop in up in role, something. But, yeah. but he's basically like, I went back to theater. That's what I like. I don't really like film acting. This is such a film acting performance. Yeah, it's like true. This, mm, well, this maybe he really got his rocks off maybe. here and that was that. Yeah, it's it's sort of surprising because it's like, not only does he have so little dialogue, but it's mostly, like, close-ups being held for two minutes that are just watching this guy think in stillness. Right. You know? It is, like, such a sort of technical performance. Yeah. And as you said, he's mostly acting off of nothing. Yeah. Uh, It's bizarre, but he's phenomenal in it. I, I just think, yeah, it's what you said, David. Like, you're surprised that they almost didn't make him go, like, have George C. Scott play Haywood. Right. Like, can we just get a unknown guy? Right. For the fake out lead, the elder statesman at the beginning, get someone who's fucking been nominated for an Oscar. This is a fun uh, little tidbit here. That, that Kubrick would throw a lot of dinners. Obviously, this movie shot in England, classic Kubrick being convincing the studio to let him, essentially. Uh-huh. Um, I just, I've been uh, location scouting, and I think the English countryside is the only thing that looks like space. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's the only thing that looks like the dawn of man. Um, he would have these big dinner parties where he's like, here, Gary Locke would come over and there'd yeah. be like art historians and intellectuals and authors and uh, all that. And right, he'd make, he uh, did American food that Europeans found astonishing, like hamburgers. I think in the 60s, you could still blow someone, blow like a French guy's mind with a hamburger. What is this? Hamburger. I eat it with my hand. Stanley's over from America. Uh, he makes and, a hamburger. And listen to this. I believe he put a pickle on it. A, a hamburger sandwich. A nickname for me, I think. Later well, on, Christian Kubrick says he was the king of sandwiches. Like you want to call yourself the king of sandwiches? I do. Have um, you had one of Stanley's sandwiches? <laughs> he, right. puts, he puts a pickle on it. Do you call it a hamburger sandwich? That feels like a Hoffmanism. You know, maybe you've overheard me say it. Because I always call them hamburgers. I, I just think that's always funny. Yeah, I to call it call a them, hamburger sandwich. Yeah, my wife does <laughs> too. Funny. We call them hamburger sandwiches. Yeah. Um, impossible hamburger sandwiches. Are, can I get are, an impossible hamburger sandwich? Yeah. Douglas Rain, of course, the voice of Hal. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Probably the most crucial piece of casting in this movie. So good. Yeah. Uh, had apparently done a voice or had been in a short film called Universe. Yeah. yeah. And I've never seen that, but that was why Kubrick wanted it. Moving showed it during uh, some. What's of their- it like? It's awesome. I mean, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's shots it's of got like the universe. Awesome, it? sounds it's, good. It's great footage of like and the Milky Way spiral. I, that's my Douglas. Rain. The Milky Way spiral. I can't do Douglas Rain. Yeah, but it's about the Milky Way spirals. The Milky Way spiral. Yeah, I can't it's really. Great. Yeah, I mean, who could? It's you know. Canadian television. You know, my name is David. Yeah, I have heard this. Yeah, and so I would get a lot of that. I can't that do that for you. I can't do that for you. Well, so Howard yeah, Stern, bit you could do if it I may me. bring him up, uh, sure. had a, he's in this one, right? Told the story. Yeah, he was the mom about how he went and saw 2001. Hell, this guy's fucked up. And <laughs> he saw it with um, his friend Dave. You a fucking freak, Hal? And okay. Dave, you got a big cock. Took um, <laughs> took drugs. Uh, took uh, sure. Took uh, hallucinogens. <laughs> 
And when the movie starts talking to Dave, my mind is going, Dave, his buddy Dave flipped out and had to leave the theater. Yeah. And there's also a story which I, 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 it might be apocryphal, I don't know, but it's sourced on the internet. Um, there was a screening of 2001 A Space Odyssey, and at the end, somebody took drugs, man. And at the end, when it got really heavy, somebody in the audience started screaming and he's saying, it's God, it's God, it's God. And ran into the screen. <laughs> that <broke> rules. Screen. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's you fun. can Google that story. The it's somewhere out there. It's reverse source. Sweetums. It's just funny because of course you think of the like you know the way they'd market horror movies. So people are fainting. We have a doctor, you yeah. know. And then two thousand one, it's like people are just. It's getting too heady for yeah. them. <laughs> running into the screen. G rated movie. Well, you know what's? I mean, uh, this is this. Maybe you were gonna get, but Kubrick was not into psychedelics. No, I'll, I'll read the quote. Yeah, I believe that drugs are basically of more use to the audience than to the artist. He says. Yeah re LSD because of course you make a movie like this you are going to get a lot of like man were you so baked when yeah, you did you this man what were you right what were you taking when you wrote this man I wrote that down you, you wrote that I down I said Stanley took acid question, question mark, mark. Nope. He, he claims well at least he's he certainly claims not his thing I don't um, know if he's saying I never I inhaled know, he could have stand to fucking chill out every once in a while <laughs> the, the hell I think the this, hell thing I, I, before we, I just I just think this is interesting I think that the illusion of of oneness with the universe and absorption with the significance of every object in your environment and the pervasive aura of peace and contentment is not the ideal state for an artist. So <laughs> yeah. he's almost saying, like, I don't want to chill out, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I feel like that's an amazing quote. I've never heard he, that. He, the guy gives good quotes he if gives you sit him down. Yeah, it's so yeah, he, 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 doing he interviews. was not really into the you know, get weight, you know, but, but the, the marketing puts department. his head just like the way I can see it, my friends who use LSD, they're not like transfixed by great art. They're transfixed by like a table leg. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, I yeah. don't need that in my yeah, life. I got, I got other things to think about. My shoelace, man. <laughs> no, but this is a good point. You're, but the, you're the, 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 yeah. the, um, the movie was not a smash hit from day one. And then the hippies found it. Right. And it, they, it ran a long time. And then it was just like immediately claimed. Yeah, it yeah. Was, and so the marketing department realized that the long hairs were seeing it, and there actually was like, um, uh, there was a special screening at like you know the early computer geeks at MIT mm -hmm. and at what's called the Sale on the on the West Coast. Um, they were getting into it and they were getting high and watching it. So one <laughs> of the hell yeah, one of the um, I believe it might have been as square a publication as Christian Science Monitor in their review of the movie, referred to it as the ultimate trip, but didn't mean it in a psychedelic way. Meant it in like, you yes. know, strap on your space boots, comrades. We're going yeah. to take the ultimate trip. You know, and so the marketing A fun family thrill ride. Yeah. yeah. Plucked that line and called it the ultimate trip. And, and then the just, solarized right. image of the eyeball and the poster. It like made that movie's uh, box office. Yeah. That's so, you know, the. do you know what he's talking about? They, uh, <laughs> I'll find it for you. Because um, obviously the classic poster, you've got the... You know, the space station or whatever. But then there's... There's the eyeball. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Wow. So you see that in 1968 at the... You're walking around, you're listening to the... Remember the Allman Brothers we talked and about? And there's a earlier? baby inside Shoop. the eye. Ba -ba 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 the the hell thing, which I feel like Nolan is like one of the first people to be like, yeah, we should follow this with TARS. But just the fact that he just sounds like a guy... That they don't do anything to make him sound like right. a rubbish. He's not, he's not bleepy or. And also, they don't modulated. put any effects on him to make him sound like it's coming out of a speaker. Right. It's that yeah. thing that, that is so it's bracing in Interstellar. Well, and it's in, bracing yeah. in this where you're just like, 
That no, the voice there should be a little more distance from. This. Obviously, Interstellar, which is a supreme masterpiece, and it. also contains a sequence yeah. where someone goes into a crazy thing, and then a bunch of crazy right. stuff happens. Um, but yeah, Tars is almost like offhand. It's a guy in the room. At least Hal has this sort of like whispered, hushed well, kind the, of monotonal the voice of right. a of a documentary narrator. Yeah, right, from right, Canada, right, flat right. voice, and and that's sort of the authority yeah. of the, the like, interstellar. Tars sounds like he's straight. He's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like yeah. he sort of sounds like that sometimes. I don't know. Get out yeah, of here. Yeah, Tars is almost too wacky. But... No, I know he's not too wacky. He's a good, good, oh, boy, wonderful, and we love. Tars him. hasn't worked in a while. It's weird. Well, because Tar came in and market corrected hey, him. You know? I know. Hal, the computer, is an icon that even if you've never seen the movie, you yes. know it. It's like it's like Buster Keaton's face. You know, it's like right. famous. And not only that, the almost the Hal voice. Like any yeah. the, the idea right. of Hal being parodied. Yeah, you could put him in yeah. a Pizza Hut commercial tomorrow. Everyone would get it. You get it, get it even if you haven't a, seen the movie. A, uh, uh, There's definitely been a million a, of those Mac, Macintosh computers. Yes, sure. uh, yes. did it. Anyway, the point I'm making is the first shot of Hal is out of context. It's just like, you know, Poole is, or Bowman is doing mm -hmm. their exercises, and then they cut to ha just a close-up of Hal. And if you don't, if it's the first time you're watching the movie and, it's not, and you don't know about Hal. It hasn't been Hal, established. hasn't yeah. been established. It's just like a rainbow of colors. You're like, what the F is this? Like, what is this thing? And you don't know until a good 15 minutes later when the BBC interview is happening and yeah. they do the backstory. So I would love to have known what a person watching this for the first time would think. Like, why am I seeing a rainbow of colors right now? You know, it's so jarring. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if you're seeing this in the 60s where this is not even like really established as a sci-fi trope, you know? Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I took my sister to see The Matrix when it was sort of playing in theaters again before Resurrections came out and she had not seen it. She's a youngin who was born in 1998, so she's pretty much only lived in a post-Matrix world. And it's not like Matrix created the idea of us living in a simulation, but it certainly like popularized it, sure. pushed it into the mainstream. And I was just sort of trying to explain to her, like, when that drops in this movie, people lost their fucking minds. Yeah. Whereas she turned to me and she was like, oh, so it's one of these, like, whole world of simulation movies. <laughs> and I was like, it's not one of those. It's the it's the one where you're just, like, sort of the uh, idea of the evil AI mm, yeah. is a thing that is so omnipresent now. But yeah. at this point in time, probably, when they cut to the screen, you're like, what are you, you're telling me that voice comes from that? Yeah. This thing is thinking? What if Hal had a big boxing glove <laughs> near his processing core and he could punch you away? I wish. Because he he, they eventually, he's easy to get once they get in there. He should have all the Simpsons, <laughs> Stephen Hawking, like, yeah, right. all, little all rockets, the, right, boxing a saw, glove, maybe, propeller. Like or if that. he had a little drone helper. You know, that could be like its physical presence. Yeah, or what the great gazoo could swoop in, maybe. This movie is weirdly lacking gazoo. Yeah, this movie doesn't have any gazoo figures. Well, we haven't really talked about the opening sequence of the film, which yeah. is set during the dawn of man. This is another stunning thing about this movie. And I feel like whenever Alex Ross Perry is on this show, and we'll be on again soon, winky winky, uh, he, I feel like he'll spot like movies where he's just like, this movie has like five scenes, like five things happen. Yeah, but this sure. is truly a movie where like five things happen. Yeah, it's a very right? light on stuff. Yeah, it's, it, there's like a lot of buildup and like deliberation for each sequence, but it's like basically five acts, and each one is based around like one thing happening. So yeah. the the opening act is the the Moon Watchers, right? Yep. The landing of the monolith. Yep. This uh, uh, generation of apes. Yeah, the they discovery use tools. of the bone, they the first tools. Yeah. They, and sort they, of the first act of cruelty. The eh. first act of in they use they they take a tool and the first thing they do with it is um 
show dominance over another group. Don't they whack something, you know, whack some bones yeah, they first? Have, they hit yeah. the beast. They yeah. start yeah. killing beasts. Ha- yeah. yeah, you don't see it, but he has the he has the thought of it, and then you see them eating the, uh, raw warthog or whatever. Right. Basically, so it's implied yeah. they use it for food. No, Technology no. immediately leads to violence. Well, it leads Pretty to quickly. sustenance. Yeah, I mean, warthogs. I, I just think uh, you know, Cro-Mag's got to eat. Tree know? of Life, as, as you've called out, is a movie that's very much in conversation with yeah. this film. And when that film does its 2001 sequence where you have the two raptors, yeah. Malik always described that as like the first act of kindness or the first act of mercy. Like he's almost doing the exact opposite where that sequence is like for no good reason a raptor chooses not to kill the other raptor oh. when it could. So I always think of this movie as like this is like the first act. It's of- a little bit um- – Brutal. I mean, yes. it's a little bit like this is. Pro- I mean, look. I mean, mankind. We still got our got to get our act together. Here's man. this new tool. What damage on, can people I do? Now. It's revenge. It's revenge. It is revenge, though, because they they're fighting over the the other group is the first aggressor. They chase the apes out from the watering hole. Yeah, and then when they figure out to have this tool, they get their revenge. I love how unreal these apes look they look they're great funny. but they don't look great yeah. they're funny but they i love that around. about them like yeah. i'm like i they think if, if technology was better if they looked more realistic i don't know if the sequence would have as much i agree power. it's they need to be kind of alien they need to not be That's exactly thing. one right. thing they're, or the other yeah and and when you see the the jaguar with its rods and cones uh, reflecting yeah. in the, I mean, that that's a real jaguar. So I know, and you're looks... like, wait, that's a guy in a suit. They just <laughs> threw a jaguar at him? <laughs> can, can, can Stanley's I, like, here's my jaguar. Man. I want to, <laughs> um, talk like that. this is one of my favorite little observations about 2001 A Space Odyssey, motion picture that came out in 1968, Stanley Kubrick. Um, ben just alluded to the moment where the act of violence happens. It happens at a, a watering hole. Literally, it's a pond with pond scum and muddy water, but it's a good old-fashioned watering hole, and it's two tribes going head-to-head, and one shows dominance over the other. Movie set in 2001, of course, shot during the Cold War, 1968. Mm -hmm. And the next scene in the movie in which characters interact in in a substantial manner is on the space station in between the Earth and the moon. Mm -hmm. Dr. Haywood Floyd checks in, shows his passport, goes to make a phone call, talks to the little girl played by Christiane Kubrick, I think it was. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then he sits down with the Russians. And where are they? They're around like a circle and they're taking, have drinks. Mm. They're at a watering hole. Mm. Oh, there fuck, man. Shoop. Pass that bong. Where are the Omen Brothers oh, being man. here all of a sudden? 2001. They're trying to dock. On a groovy ship. So think about <laughs> it's it. Going it's going like this. It's, yep. it's, you know, uh, you know, we're apes, man, showing dominance, the Russians and the Americans, Cold War. I kind of was thinking how the spacesuits make people look like monkeys a little bit sure mm. so i had a similar kind of like well, yeah. and if you're oh, on like man, the moon service you're kind of you're kind you know, of walking like a, funny well, yeah, just yeah. The, line, the, the, the cut from the bone to the space web it's oh, just, but that's too obvious well yeah but, the, but i this like whole, my watering hole analogy much better the kubrick thing of like we evolved yeah. to a point where we think we've evolved exactly but it's the same shit over and over again just dressed up in different ways different technology surrounding us same shit better food but the, raw warthog stupid or mammals the spinach we have the same instincts that are driving everything do you guys want to know the the plot of the third 2001 book because it's so cool 2061, correct? Odyssey 3? I think it's 2061. 2010, the book, is similar to what you see in the movie. Yeah. It's all about nukes. Yeah, more about nukes, Cold War, 
Uh, the movie's good. I think the movie. We're gonna talk about gonna, the movie. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Well, we're watching the, it for Patreon. In the book, um, there's extra shit. Uh, David Bowman's ghost goes to visit his parents in like Idaho or something. Right. It's amazing because Bowman and Poole are both in it, right? Or, or, in the movie? No, just the, Bowman. Bowman is in it. I okay, know, but I, don't I think know. Lockwood's in the movie as well. Maybe he is. I, don't know. I have it's seen just it. Just Kier Delea. Okay. Bo- Bo- so. Bo- Bowman uh, is in the movie, The Spirit of Him, and in the book, he's like hanging out with his parents. No it's hilarious. So 2061, Floyd is back, and basically, the, the, the basic premise is there, and this is kind of a sci-fi trope, particularly with, with Clark, you know, the big dumb object. Mm-hmm. A Rendezvous with Rama, which is one of Arthur C. Clark's best books, is a, a big thing in the sky, Let's go up and look at it and find out what it right. is. That's Which the whole book. Fincher you know, tried to make for like 20 years. Yeah. It was his dream project. And Morgan yeah. Freeman also was in, had the rights yes, for a long time. Right. Freeman had the rights, got Fincher involved. Yeah. So you mentioned before this movie has like five scenes. Rendezvous with Rama has one scene. Yeah. Let's go up, see the thing, find out what it is. The end. But it's wonderful. 2061 is another big dumb object. And they go up there and then... There's a discovery on Ganymede, which is one of the moons of Saturn or mm-hmm. Jupiter. 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 It's and not Ben's favorite, but you know, you're a Europa guy. Yeah, I love Europa. You don't, you don't, we don't like Io. Io's pretty good. Io's okay. Io's kind of the teen moon because it's kind of zit faced. It's full of volcanoes. Oh, right. Good on right. the bear. Too. Well, for some reason, <laughs> yeah, right. Even though I've read this book a long time ago, I remember it being Ganymede. They go to Ganymede because there's some shit going on, and to cut to the chase. Even though it's the year 2061, South Africa is still apartheid South Africa. Mm-hmm. Why is that relevant? I'll tell you in a minute. The De Beers company is still around, and they're like the most important company on Earth. And they discover that the monolith or something or whatever on Ganymede is, is they discover a deposit of diamonds. Cool. So you think, who gives a shit? Well, the two, 2001 is about heavy, important stuff. Why are we here in the universe? What is the nature of man? What is the nature of God? What is the nature of evolution? Is this a fucking diamond hype yeah. book? It's a diamond story. Yeah. And you go to 26. Ben is rubbing his fingers together, <laughs> thinking of that sweet, sweet moolah. So here's what happens. Yeah, right. They go to 20. <laughs> Take That's a hammer the to the bottom. Of the universe, 2061 baby. is they discover a cache of diamonds and they have to keep it secret, but then it leaks. And the diamond market collapses. I'm telling you what actually happens in the book. Wow. And the the world is thrown into chaos. And that's what the book is about. It's the most baffling thing. What's, 20, three, what's 3001 about? 3001, I'm fully convinced, was just a book that Clark wrote and then realized he could sell for more if he slapped 3001 off of it. Yeah. Um, it's just set in the far future. And what it is is Poole, who we haven't seen in a while, yeah, yeah. who dies early yeah, on. Yes. Um, his essence was somehow saved and he's back to life. And it's just the, the story is pool is somehow resurrected and he's learning how to live in the year 3001. And the whole gimmick is they screw in in his brain. Like the surgery scene is kind of gross. They screw in what's basically, it's like ready player one. Mm-hmm. They screw in virtual reality. They're gunters. They're gu- <laughs> they are gunters like me. So 3001, the final odyssey is just a story about like what would life be like with really good VR. That's it. Wow. But you know, toward the end of his life, Clark was not above making a buck where he could. Sure. You know, he did a lot of sequels with like other written by Arthur C. Clark, big letters and Joe Schmo in yeah, small letters. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of that. Well, Joe Schmo is a very celebrated very sci-fi writer. writer. This is a, a tangential, but I'll oh, say good. it very quickly. Uh, I took the trip yesterday, as I think you know. You went to Paris. I went to Paris with Mrs. Harris. Um, oh yeah. Uh, um, 
Mrs. Harris. Well, in the states here, we call it Mrs. Harris. Yeah, Mrs. Um, Harris. But uh, what the, the romp of the year? Uh, loved it. My favorite film of 2022. But I was texting with our good friend Bobby Finger about it because uh, there are uh, four books in that series. Yes. And I'm hoping they adapt the other ones with Leslie Manville. Well, yeah. I mean, the, since Mrs. Harris Made to Paris made $800 million worldwide. Is that true? No. Oh. I hate domestic, <laughs> which is pretty solid. Um, the third Mrs. Harris book it just feels like what you're talking about with the 2001 sequels. Yeah. The third one is uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Parliament. She sure does. She so, like, sure the does. second one's New York, yeah. right? We're in it. The fourth one's Moscow. She tries to solve international relations mm. there, right? But Mrs. Harris goes to Parliament. If I can just read this quickly. Mrs. Harris finds that being nice, kind, and hopeful does not always lead to people being nice and kind in return. There is rather less comedy in this third book. <laughs> Damn, Parliament really like breaks her. I idea that they did this swerve just, where it's like... Whoops. Mrs. Mrs. Harris warms everyone she meets. The third book, it's just like, there's a limit here, niceless no. lady. But the, yeah, the opening, opening section, uh, super striking. But an example of this movie, just like kind of for how slow it is, going by faster than you expect. First live dialogue in this movie is 25 minutes in. It's when Floyd gets out of the, the elevator. Right. And, and it's says, such a like, weird line. She says, main level, please. Thank you, sir. Or yeah. something like It's like a, that's the first line? That's the first thing yeah. said in the movie. There's 15 straight minutes of the Moon Watchers, then like 10 minutes of the ships getting to understand space, the aesthetic of space, before you get into characters and dialogue. All of that feels like it's like, it, it, it's pretty propulsive, weirdly, for how glacial and it, deliberately it is propulsive it. I think especially to people maybe if you've seen it already because the images are so striking and you're waiting to see oh I want to see the pen flow I know where this is going I want to see sure. the Pan Am logo you know I want to see her feet not because I'm a foot fetishist yeah. I swear but you want to see her feet as it's like clinging to the carpet and all that I mean it is a lot of cool stuff I like the way that you can tell she has to get her feet just right yes. for it to work because you can see she's kind of like, oh, yeah. 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 Well, because like, they have two different techniques for all of these sets where it's like they'll build one version of the set where the set moves and the camera stays still and then one version where the set stays still and, and the, the camera, camera, camera moves. Like 360, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's a lot of weird perspectives. The, the moon bus, for example, in some shots, the moon bus is zooming. Yeah. And then in other shots, it's very, very still because of the angle and where it's supposed to be. And it, it, it's very disorienting. It's also, I mean, the modern principle, I, modern, I say, is in the last 50 years, really post this movie of special effects, is that like you want to sort of make the audience think they know how you did the thing. And then you do something that breaks the rules where you're like, fuck, now it feels like a magic trick, right? Mm, mm. So there's like, I mean, it, infamous like perfect subtle execution of it is like all the Lieutenant Dan leg stuff in Forrest Gump, where you're like, well, they CGI'd this guy's legs out, but then they'll do things like he'll swing around underneath a table. And you're like, well, how are the real guy's legs not hitting the legs of the table? Hmm. Or things like that. And the pen shot is just like, even for such an early point, they're doing that, yeah. where you're like, okay, cool shot but you're not going to be able to touch the pen. And then sure. she grabs the pen. You yeah. know, it's like either yeah. this is on wires yeah. or it's optically printed in some way, but there's no way she's going to be able to interact with it in the shot or whatever. It's like every shot in this movie is just sort of, it still feels impossible they pulled it off. Here's, so Doug Trumbull, obviously the famous VFX artist behind this movie and behind yeah. many a great space movie, recently died, died this year in fact. Yes, yes. Um, 
he says, you know, one thing with the slowness is it's just it was necessitated by the visual effects, right? If they moved anything too fast, uh, like the stars would start to blur and all that. So mm-hmm. that's why Stanley Kubrick starts falling in love with the Blue Danube because he's like, everything's moving at Walt's pace, right? Like everything's so slow. That's really smart. And he starts playing them the Blue Danube waltz over and over again mm-hmm. and uh, starts recutting the sequence to it because he's like, this is going to work perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, including film critics, thought he had lost his marbles, um, goes uh, Jan Harlan. Um, but uh, I, as Kubrick puts it, I wanted something that would express the beauty and the grace that space travel would have, especially when it reached the routine level where there's no danger involved. And then he didn't want to sound, he didn't want it to sound futury. He didn't want like music that's like yeah, like F- Forbidden Planet had the theremins, yeah. and he exactly you know there Those was of course uh, there was a score commissioned Alex North Alex North. There's a whole score and it's out there you can hear it it's good and there at the movie it, 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 the movie would be a disaster with it the score itself is good yeah but, but obviously the, the the movie is fifty percent the classical music and, like, and weirdly the classical music gives the film a sort of lightness of touch and 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 well, an odd sings, humor yes yes. Yes, it's funny. The juxtaposition. Yes. I mean, well, and there's sadness too. I mean, look, there aren't that many musical cues. I mean, the, there's, there's just, well, also there's Sprag's Zarathustra, which which Fish does a cover of. Right? Well, they do the cover of the version by Emir Diodato that was in Being There with Peter yes. Sellers, right, 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 right. Um, the which, one, the, the, yeah, the yeah. 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 Do you know who who Aramir Deodato is? I believe he's Brazilian. He's also, um, I want to say, is it Justin Bieber's wife's grandfather? Really? (laughs) I couldn't tell. Is it Justin Bieber's wife, Stephen Baldwin's daughter? Yeah, I think so. And it's still Aomir. So Stephen Baldwin's wife was. All right, all right move his... on. No, <laughs> I'm not looking on. all that up. I can't be. But so it's this funky disco. Bird. So... <laughs> I can't delve into the, the Bieber family. <laughs> I just love how long this lasted, this? though. Where even like in the '70s, you have like the fucking disco Star Wars. Like, yeah, I'll have yeah. that up. Yeah. So this, uh, so being there, Hal Ashby's final film. One know, of my Sellers, favorite movies of all time. I mean, yeah. yeah well, so the the audience knows this movie. Yes. Uh, Sellers, of course, has a tremendous Kubrick connection. And when he goes in the outside world and they need something big and they were going to play the also Sprack Zarathustra, but they did the funky version instead. <laughs> so there's a band. It's so good. Ben's kind of into it. Yeah. yeah. Ben's really getting into it. <laughs> and yeah. it's, like, it's like a nine minute thing. Yeah. It's yeah. So now, now, the, now, prior to this, though, prior to this, um, Elvis loved 2001. Now I'm just imagining hey, Elvis man. singing it. It's so and crazy. Dumb. Well, Elvis, you, you, <laughs> they go to space. There's, there's, there's monkeys, and then they're in space. <laughs> but, but Elvis, Duh. he's Elvis. just here's a little tune a movie called 2001. First of all, Elvis uh, had uh, Elvis had great taste. Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. He had great taste in movies, sandwiches. He, he the sandwiches. A great sandwich. He loved Monty Python. Yeah, he loved Monty Python. Those guys are so funny, man. Yeah, he loved the bishop. I'm a bit of a British comedy nerd. <laughs> So Elvis, what is this? The Spanish Inquisition? Almost immediately Stepped after the movie, uh, took this took Give the music pills. that's unrelated the the opening <laughs> overture to also Sprax Zarathustra and use it in his concerts. I mean, yeah. it, cool. This is this is that's when his concerts were at their most maximalist. In the late sixties, you know, the Aloha yeah. concert from Hawaii, the seventy two MSG concerts. Yeah, all of his live shows from that era opened with the band. 
doing the doing 2001 that. theme and then the thing if you see an orchestra do that you know do also spectacular Zarathustra yeah it is you you are like it is crazy that these guys with these instruments just sitting here can make a noise that loud and <laughs> yes. like insane like yeah. if you're just sitting in a concert yeah. hall and it is one of those things where you're like pre-movies and fucking pl- you know like when it was like the 18th I mean I know that's stress it's from like the 19th century maybe uh, yeah, but late, still just late imagine you're like yeah. you know I'm gonna go sit in a room and this music is gonna be so crazy no, dude I think about that all the time yeah. like a timpani yeah. just hearing someone <laughs> smash <laughs> a fucking timpani <laughs> with a full orchestra is nothing better I'm gonna say a, re- a real dumb griffin thing here we go uh, who is Zarathustra? <laughs> no, no, Who no. Is that guy? This is one of those pieces where when I hear it, it almost sounds like it is an instrument. You know what I'm saying? I think it speaks to you like... You think it's Elvis going... Duh. Duh. <laughs> That's what you think it is. No, but the loudness of the thing, even when like the drum is so pronounced, yeah. I'm just like, that's well, these are just sounds. Is that it are just being like a synthesizer? From the, no, not yeah. even a synthesizer. I'm like, because are, it's so iconic? Just, or? Yeah. yeah. It's like these noises are just being pulled from like the heavens. Wow. I think you well, could fuck ha- with Timothy. The forcefulness man. of it. Well, you know... I really think you would like timpani. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to 2001. Now All I right, feel so like you, we are truly so you off track. Haywood, right? And this is the sequence that's really sort of showing off. Here's how space works, right? Yeah. We're gonna start to see the thread of this thing, right? Okay. They've discovered this thing. Uh, the monolith on the moon. Yeah. Yes, yes. Absolutely. He gives yes. the he gives the speech in that very previous base. Right. This guy's coming as like second wave follow up. Yeah. The important guy. Uh. But but a lot of this is like showing how space travel works. Showing the weird commercialization of space, the sort Which of space airport. We still get snacks. The sleekness yeah. of it. Yeah, it's still nice. It's still like air travel in the 60s or it, whatever. It's also wild that all of these scenes where like he's going through like immigration and whatever, where yeah. the whole thing is you're just seeing white rooms, right? Yeah, uh, there's a line about that, right? Where like uh, the initial thought was colors. Stanley was like, I don't know, could we do like IBM blue? And then they were like, no, just white and black, white yeah. and black. That's the most striking thing you could possibly use. And most use. of these rooms, yeah. you're not seeing windows. There's no look to space in most of them. And yet, every time he's doing some boring sort of bureaucratic step or like, you know, getting his Howard Johnsons or whatever, yeah. I'm like, it really feels like they're in space. It's so Something compelling. about all yeah. of it. I'm just like, I believe that this is what... And and like the only movie that I feel like comes close to this is cribbing from it so much where like the way at Astra depicts space travel. Oh yeah, yeah. Is the one other film where I'm like, this feels realistic. This feels like how space travel. Right. And which their version I mean, was, it has the same jokes where there's like right. a subway on the moon. Right. And, yeah. They're just riffing on the same yeah. things yeah. and, and evolving it, it a little. The joke bit. where he's like, "Can I get a travel pillow?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's eight hundred dollars." Just how quickly like, it will just become <laughs> so. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great. Kind of annoying. Yeah, he's not like thrilled to be on the moon on in the space station. I mean, it's you know, we never see. The moon base, really. We no. see the very, it's probably the slowest sequence in the whole movie of the descent in. Yes, I remember that being where my dad was like, don't worry, this is going to pick up again. Yeah, when like, the, the it thing does is get slowly, a little... and it's on TV, it's not as exciting in the theater, but it slowly gets in. And then you cut to the conference room, and that's just a square, that's just a box with yeah. very bright walls, like insanely bright walls. And you have the photographer, and then he gives that bureaucratic speech about the cover story, and that's it. And also the level of energy with which people are greeting this story, this discovery, the potential of what it implies, belies, is like pretty similar to how everyone reacted to like fucking three, four years ago, the New York Times being like, yeah, 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 no, the military has been tracking UFOs forever. We have a bunch of footage. There are a bunch of encounters. And it was one of those things where I have like a friend who had a friend inside the New York Times who was like, 
I can't tell you what it is, but there's a story coming that's going to change the world forever. Yeah. And it came out and it got like less coverage than fucking, you know, some some dumb think piece. Yeah. On like the latest Marvel movie or whatever. Well, the marketplace it's still one of, of ideas things. is important and we have to respect it. I, I agree. You but mean are those you stories, the naval, the, the stories naval where it's videos? Like, Navy, yes. Navy is like, these are UFOs. I don't know. There've do with that like what you will, 15 right? 15 follow-up stories on this where they're just like, yes, of course, we do have a program where we tracked all these incidents that we can't explain. And here's all the footage and photos, and here are interviews with, like, we've now declassified all this stuff. Weather balloons. Right. And it's like, it's what it is in this movie, but every other movie like this makes it go like, this is going to change the firmament of the world forever. <laughs> and instead people were like, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, right. I think Because I think people funny. are waiting for like, come on, I want a phone call from an alien, maybe. I want a, I want like a, we come in peace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Bring this the is, phone. People are to saying David. this. Also, if an alien showed up, I feel like they would have to really get over like people would be like, that's not real. Like that's well, the world today, we live in now. Yeah. People are like, I don't believe that. I, I, that that is yeah. With the you know what with the QAnon and all. I mean the today. This is what I'm saying people are more like would rather spin out on the possibilities of Q than like government declassified all right, all right, photos right. and footage. People are getting us back like, to 2001 know. A Space Odyssey. God Q damn it. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, it is called Q1001 now. One thing that is eliminated from the movie, but was originally going to be, and it was a whole, all this voiceover that Arthur C. Clarke did. Yeah. That was like narrating the movie. Um, obviously, another thing is Alex North's score. Poor Alex North. He worked very hard mm -hmm. and was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And at the end of the day, Stanley Kubrick didn't like it. Yeah. Um, can I can I can I say uh, something about the music, please? Because yeah. we're on the topic of the music. Obviously, we we got into also Sprach Zarathustra. There's um, Blue Danube is funny in Counterpoint. This beautiful waltz with spaceships at the time, I'm sure, was even more revolutionary. It's been parodied now a number of times. The other musical cues. There's the scary stuff. Ligeti is his name, right? Georgi Ligeti. And from what I remember from Michael Benson's book. Kubrick didn't know what he wanted to use. This is the music that shows up um, a couple of times after the intermission, the sure. shark. You hear that spooky-ass music. And from what I remember in Benson's book, Kubrick's wife was had the BBC radio on, and it was their, like, new music hour, and she heard the scary music. And she's like, Stanley, Stanley! I don't know what she sounded like. Come into the kitchen. That, she sounded like that. Put down yeah. your hamburger sandwich and run in. <laughs> and he heard it. And was like, wow, this is really cool. And then foolishly waited like a week and then called BBC and was like, what did you play last week? And they're like, what? And like, it was not an easy thing to yeah, go through the trials. Yeah. It wasn't like now where you can go online and see what they played at noon. Couldn't Shazam it. No, he couldn't Shazam it. So it was like, but he eventually found it and sourced it. Then the other thing, and it's my favorite piece of music in the film, is Aram Kachuterian's sad when you first see Bowman and Poole and they're exercising and when he's on the bed having the conversation with his parents, that mm -hmm. kind of melancholy music. Yes. This is the saddest music in the world. I one time did a social experiment. I used to work in an office. If you can imagine this, 15 years imagine. ago. I, have never, yeah. I haven't worked in an office in 15 years because I'm uh, society won't allow that. <laughs> And when I <laughs> like the time we brought you into the audio boom offices and you said the C word really loudly on one. Oh shit, did I do that? And David yeah. had to say this is a professional workplace. <laughs> <laughs> did 
Oh yeah, I was I was doing a bit <laughs> on. Um, was relaying Ball. a story. Yeah, I, I was relaying a story about from Raging Bull. Yeah. So um, and I by the way, I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. You're clean sure. man. Aram Kachaturian, who by the way also uh, composed music that's very uplifting. Uh-huh. He wrote the theme song to comedy. That's the comedy's theme song. You can see them running around. The clown Bart Simpson, they're all running around. That's Aram Kachatarian. He also wrote the So I did a social experiment. When I worked at a company, I had speakers on my on my DOS computer. And I played on a loop this selection just like in the background i did it all day and everybody was fucking bummed out I'm that sure. day it was like everyone well, you were also farting like crazy yeah well i mean that's the yeah yeah ripping them in no the but wine. you're saying right it's so just it, it sets the mood it sets the mood and um i uh that was like the one time i experimented i did a stanley milgram style experiment on my on my coworkers, yeah. but it it um I, I love that piece. I'm being sincere. I think it's so it's yes. such a gorgeous melody, and uh, the it, way it so quickly and efficiently establishes the loneliness the of these it's so guys. Sad, yeah, it is sad. And, and he's creepy. playing chess. And by the way, Hal cheats at chess. Yeah, go Google the chess scene. There's the when Hal says, "I've mated you in three moves," and yeah. Bowman's like, "Oh yeah." Yes, he doesn't describe his moves properly. Yeah, the, and that's not a mis. That's there's a whole there's a whole. There's no way that's Thread. a mistake because Stanley Kubrick is like a chess nerd. Yeah. yeah. So w- some theorize this is uh, so. Many it's like pe- the first indication that something is up. How some theorize that Hal is constantly making sure he has dominance over the human. Sure. Now we've been talking about dominance at the water cooler, and dominance in space with the Russians. Hal is the next tribe. He's the tribe of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. He wants to maintain dominance over the humans. That's so, not what I think it is. Though. Well, this is one What theory. do you think it yeah. is? Well, I think it's like he's been told to, th- he can't hold two like primary things in his head at once. So he's been told not to tell them mm-hmm. about his primary programming, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like been told to help them and he can't deal with it. Does and it's just like sure. slowly fucking him up. Interesting. Because like he has this secret thing that he's not allowed to tell them. And it's like, you know, he's human. So they were like, Psst, don't tell them. Right, but he's, and like, he, and he's, he's pro- just churning away there going nuts. I, this is this is the, the more mainstream um Interpretation, and I think I think you're probably like right. Like the government knows how to lie to people, right? But, but Hal is an innocent computer, right? Sure. He's not like built in. He doesn't he doesn't understand why the government would want to lie to he's people. He's actually, I mean, he's not malicious. No, he's clinical about all of this. this yeah, is which the more is scary. Hu- this yeah. is the, <laughs> like you know. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, this is the more hu- bad I- ironically enough, this is the more humane interpretation of yes. Hal, right? I mean, Rather than like, yeah. So he's yeah. a robot, and he robots want to take over the world right. or whatever, right? He's um, kind of but, full of himself, though. Too. You think Hal's a little highfalutin? Yeah, like the whole yeah. time watching, I was like, I wanted to be like to Hal. I'm like, what about Hal 1000 through 8000, my dude? You should watch exactly. Hal's TikToks where he's like, first of all, and this just has to be said, I'm a very talented robot. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fact. At this uh, point, we have to accept it. I've been a talented a robot my entire life. I like this. This is, I'm, I Googled. Like, By the way, Hal one, that will age perfectly Hal, six Hal weeks one, from now. Hal 1 to 8000. Yeah. Have you ever used preparation A through G on your hemorrhoids? Woof. Oh boy, I I just think this is so el- elegantly done, 
where it's like the Haywood Floyd thing, it's like, here's a guy in a mission. We're watching the process of space travel. We're watching him on a job. He's trying to figure this out, right? Then it ends in this sort of like bombastic, like fucking monolith is breaking all their brains, mm, yeah, you know, that. white noise sort of thing. And then you cut to the ship and it's like the mundanity of their routines, their exercise, their meals, the the trays being too hot. Yeah. I love that you see like four different like he has to shake off his hands kind of thing. Cure Delea sketching his fucking sleeping mummies teammate, which mummies. is like so creepy. Mm-hmm. And then you wait like 10 plus minutes before they watch the BBC thing. And it's such a good way to do the sort of exposition dump that this movie's been avoiding for most of its running time because like. A, you're spending so much time in in the mundanity, the loneliness, the boredom of their routine first. And secondly, it truly plays, unlike a lot of these movies where you do the 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 news piece, right? The package news piece yeah, to yeah. explain everything. First thing, yeah. In this, it actually works as sort of character thing because you buy the energy of we should see how this piece came out. Right. You know, oh, the sense yeah, of yeah, them yeah. watching it is sort of like, I want to make sure we came off okay. Even though they're not saying that, they're not overplaying no, it. It's they're watching like, it as they eat their peas. They're eating right, their and it's just sort of like, and, yeah. I guess we should watch this and see how it made us look, right? Yeah. And so you're watching it through their eyes, which is funny, but you're also like, okay, now the movie's giving me the the things I need. Yeah, they don't comment. We don't even see their faces. It's kind of shot from behind. It's like you're seeing the tops of their heads as they yes. eat. And of course, they're watching it on ostensibly iPads. Yeah. Part of the routine is also like, what else do they have to watch? Like video messages. <laughs> yeah, the stuff from their parents. They're and not it, getting it, sent honeymooners probably, you know? Um, obviously, there's the, the more sort of simple reading is that Hal does make a mistake in that he's like, hey, go fix that thing. And they're like, there's nothing wrong with that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then at that point, Hal is in trouble because they're like, is Hal broken? Let's turn right. him off. And Hal's like, you can't turn me off, bitch. I'm alive. I'm Hal. Yeah, you ain't. I'll turn you off. And here's Hal. Yeah. Uh, like, David you know, the, he, it's, just, it's just pure self-defense. Yes. Like, you know, yes. Like, right. yes. But I just like that idea that he's slowly been degrading. Yeah. Quietly, kind of behind the scenes. And things like him cheating at chess or whatever. Right. The moment just, where or, says, or him being like, hey, go fix that antenna. And they're like, what antenna? The thing yeah. where he says just a moment is so eerie because his dialogue is so smooth. And even when Bowman says, uh, hey, you're doing your um, psych evaluations, he goes, of course I am. Like, it's right. so eerie. And 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 then he goes, just a moment, just a moment. And, and you could tell that he had, that Kubrick recorded Douglas Rain saying just a moment once, and they spliced it and picked it up right. and put it it's next the to same line to rating. make it yeah. sound exactly the same. But oh, also, he's so not good. saying just a moment in the, like, just a moment, processing, processing. No. It's once again the, Error. the right the weird that. familiarity of Hal is that like he sounds like your grandfather being like you have to let me finish reading this chapter of the book before you bother right. me with something. But it's the closest he just, sounds to uh, a uh, sci-fi uh, robot. Just a moment, you know. It's like that kind <laughs> yeah. of like. But yes. because it's repeated, it does have that you know, uh, lost in space warning, warning. Yes, you know, it's a little bit. It's just a hint of that, and that lets you see. Oh shit, Hal is not a person. He, and for him to need a second, think mm. about the zillions of computations he must have just had to yeah. do to figure out all the permutations of how this is going to go. And he's like, no, I'm going to kill them this way. Is Oh, my God. It's so freaky. Well, it's good the shit, The fact man. that you – the pod bay doors thing happens multiple times before it's going to be an actual point of conflict, right? So you understand yeah. what should happen. You understand the term. You understand, like, the keywords that are supposed to trigger actions, whatever. But also them having the conversation in the pod. 
Yes. Where it's like, we got to get away from Hal. Yes. Which suggests that they know that Hal can't hear that. Absolutely. And they're like, Hal, turn it around, turn it around. And then they're like, see, he's not working. Yeah, right, right. He's... No, but, but versus how playing kind of dumb. Right, right. right they're right. like, can he hear us? I, I maybe he can't hear us from in here, and it's like, no. How wants to read their lips. Yeah. He knows he can't oh, hear them. He won't let them turn I never it around. Put that together. You know what I love about the rotating pod is um, the moment when Poole is about to get killed. It's it's another one of these comedy shots. It's almost like a Michael Myers shot. He's in the background mm-hmm. putzing with the satellite dish or whatever it is. And the pod is this way, and then it turns to face it's, the camera. Yeah. Ah, it's so it's like it's a Michael Myers shot. It's so great when it's in the foreground, we can see it happening. But he's floating in the background, and then it turns around to kill him. It's just, it's just, it's, it's. I mean, it also like like the the cut to the to the intermission. It's like a great like laugh moment in a way. Yeah, it is, it's, but it's, it's yeah. also very chilling, terrifying. But like it, you're right, because like it's just when is Asimov's like laws of robotics or something like it's sh- 50s yeah yeah so like but like because i feel like with tars and like for example in interstellar mm-hmm. they'll just sort of talk in front of him of like should we just send tars into the yeah, fucking tars black hole and tars is like hey man that's cool yeah. i'll do that that's fine and like also you know but it's funny that they can't like in front of hal be like should we turn hal off right what's up with hal like right. they they know he's touchy and also he's <laughs> if that makes sense like he's like, like omnipresent like he exists yes. in different forms and it, but it's all like, over it's, yeah he's not that one circle no then he's all then, over the place then it's in that turning moment when they cut in, you say, oh, there's a Hal there's another Hal here on the pod there's like a know? Hal in every room yeah. here's the thing about it it should feel then I guess this is the thing about 2001. It yep. should feel hacky. Yes. Now. Especially when we've seen everyone rip it off, parody it or right. both. And like, you know, how it's very basic in a way. It's like, oh, the omnipresent robot and he's so calm and he turns out to be a psycho. He's not but whatever. However you want to describe it. Doesn't feel hacky like or it doesn't no. feel it feels so original to watch every part of 2001. Yes, today. absolutely. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. It's pretty fucking cool. I go see it in the theater. I've seen it in the theater like four times in my life. Okay, I, I always have a good time. Again. But yeah, this incredible intermission cut. Love it. I feel like a uh, uh, few movies cut intermission at like the moment of peak tension. I feel no, like a lot of movies will cut like, at like... Okay. Right. There's a right. release or there's yeah. like the looming jump. threat. I We're see about what's to about jump to forward hit us. Time, you know, in, you know right. like ahead of time. I feel like time. Lawrence of Arabia has a good cut to intermission. Yes. You know, it's but a it's really sort good of one. like there's there's a release moment. Yeah, he just did the thing and he's walking out of the building and right. then he cuts intermission. Something like yeah. RRR is like, here's the next level. The stakes yeah. are heightened or whatever. Yeah. But this is like... You cut at the moment where the threat is really crystallized and identified, like at the moment of peak sort of tension. In a weird way, I think if you're seeing this movie in theater and there's an actual intermission, you're walking out to the lobby, it's more unsettling because you're just like, get on with it. I don't, <laughs> don't, I don't make me fucking walk out now and have yeah. to sit with this, you know? What's also funny is if you watch it now on home video or mm-hmm. on home box office maximum, um, <laughs> there's this sound effect of the that stays during the blackness so yeah. for a few minutes of the sound effect of you know this the sound yeah. of space the sound of the uh, the spaceship uh, ambient sound which is creepy as hell you mm-hmm. know and and then we come back from this and it's like this is the the sort of plottiest section of the movie which is like the murder of uh, yeah it's and but but fairly brief yes um, but yeah it's you know it's really and it's plotty and yet it's only one character two if you count Hal but Hal's not sure. moving. Yeah, I, I like when when David goes to get pool, 
and it's cradling him. It's like a pieta, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's very, uh, um, you know, there's, there's, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of web 1.0 websites uh, talking about the influence of, and you can find images of Christ being held by, by Mary juxtaposed yes. with the shot of, uh, of the, of the pod and, the spaceman. They, and, he killed, I mean, the death of Hal is very, even I remember even as a kid being very moved by it. It's very like it's, melancholy. It's, and like, it's very sad. And, and when he starts singing the song, it's, it's spooky. And, I'm um, afraid, Dave. Yeah, no, it's heavy shit. Dave, my mind is going. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also just incredible how it, he, like that is basically how you would like design a mainframe or like a server like the way that that's laid out is like it's the same like principles of like of the technology that we have today yeah um i love just watching him unscrew yes and just like again how like technology is still at its roots just screws and wires and like i think we've really forgotten that I think in general, just because things have become so designed and streamlined for us, wireless consumer and facing interfacing on the on your phones, but like there's still every time you do something on your phone, there's still a computer somewhere with the data plugged into something. Yep. You know. You know. It's funny. There's there's a line um, when they're talking about disassembling Hal, and they say something like, "We need to disassemble X, Y, and Z, but we need to maintain its rudimentary functions." And I remember one time thinking like they need to bring him back to the to like uh, to like the dawn of man, like what those first apes sh- scenes are like rudimentary functions. I want to eat, I want to show dominance, and I want to then that's it, you know, and and then maybe have a little ape child, and then you evolve through humanity. You go to the next stage, which is potentially artificial intelligence, and then it's like we got to stop. We got to bring him back. I mean, you know, this is like one of those heavy conversations you have when you've seen the movie 16 times. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's that's something that I remember being really but turned on by. After he kills Hal. Oh, and he does kill him. He, he does. does murder. Um, in a ditch. You know, he gets that video of Floyd being like, OK, hi, here's the secret message. Like only Hal knows this, but you're here to investigate this like mysterious intelligence signal. Last lines in the movie. Yeah. Last line was like it remains a mystery. Yeah. First line is. Here you are, sir. Main level, please. And remains a mystery. Basically, the first 25 minutes are silent and the last 25 minutes are silent. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and then, a like, two and a half hour like, movie. My God, it's full of stars. That's from the book. He doesn't say that in the movie. That's right. from the yeah. book. And then it's in the 2010, it's in 2010 movie, right. also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there is the. Uh, um, What's what's the line he has? There, There is no reason to continue this conversation any further. Goodbye. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, yeah. When Hal, when, says, when Hal gives his kiss off to to, to Bowman and says, yes. "I'm not letting you this back conversation in the ship. can serve no purpose anymore." Goodbye. Right. That's uh, film spotting uses that at the end of every episode, and so it is one of those things now oh, where funny. I've listened to so many episodes of that that when he says it, I do the fucking DiCaprio <laughs> point. That's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, so oh, I had a question. What's up about the reveal of the? plan that they're investigating the signal mm-hmm. that the monolith sent from the moon over to Jupiter mm-hmm. but the whole crew is frozen so if they in, like see an alien ship or whatever 
it's just two guys and how, what are they going to do about it? Do you know what I mean? Like if they are sent to investigate what could potentially be a threat, why would they freeze the crew? The crew's there to colonize, I guess, Jupiter or whatever. I think the crew is there to like do part of the investigation. Yeah, that's what I thought. If this hadn't all gone awry, that was my yeah. Like there's xenobiologists. Like you never, they never say what they are, but I always interpret it as like Bowman and Poole are are they run the ship. They're right. Kirk and Scotty, and then someone's got to stay awake yeah. in order to make sure. Nothing goes wrong. Yeah. The, like Bowman isn't the one who is supposed to be doing this or certainly not doing it alone. Yeah. Um, right, it just doesn't pilot. seem like there's weapons. You know, it seems like they're going in peace a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. they're going to check it out. Yeah. Taking a gander. Right. And, and the, they're, I mean, they're throwing... so far out in space, though. That's why, to me, I'm just like, they're like, they just seem so helpless. But it's sort of they're just throwing people at the problem. They're well, trying right. to figure out what the fuck is going on yeah. while keeping the, the sort of buzz to a minimum i I mean talk about why this ending is so unnerving when you're a child i used to really freak out thinking about space being infinite as a child yeah it was one of those things that would just break my brain sure the idea where it's like there wait there's just like vast endless what what do you mean and the only thing kind of scarier than that than the idea of like you could just float in space forever and never reach any endpoint is the idea that there is an endpoint and that endpoint is small. Right, a little room. You know? But you know, you just touched on something really relevant. Um, yeah. So there's a quote, a very famous quote that I'm going to read to you, and it goes like this Two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not. Both are equally terrifying. Yeah. And the person who gave that quote was Arthur C. Clarke. Pretty good. So and I feel like you JJ guys... JJ pulled that up for the dossier, and Kubrick was like, that was the thing that really right. hit me. That was sort of the main, like, yeah. I don't believe in God necessarily in a concrete but way, it, it's... but I'm making a movie about the concept of God because both possibilities are scary. The philosophical yeah. push and pull of Right, that. if we yeah. assume that God could exist in, a, in some abstract form beyond our comprehension, both possibilities are equally terrifying. <laughs> Which you is know, like a religious yeah. person would say both possibilities are wonderful and right. exuberant. I think another equally understandable reaction is like, holy shit, what the it, hell? Yes, no, it's equally terrifying to imagine. Yeah, every day you wake up and you're still around. You're like, Whoa, a meaningless <laughs> accident. And the only thing scarier than that is the notion that this was planned. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. you know, designed yeah. consciously by you know, something. If God does exist, I think that I wouldn't say he was evil, but you could say he was an underachiever. That's another lie. And so. look, if God does exist, I can't <laughs> wait to meet her. Hey. And I'm holding for applause. Um, I just think it's interesting that he goes through the star gates and he sees all the colors, and then it's the the cigarette smoking aliens from Men in Black who are like, hey, <laughs> we created everything. They were kind of the original Wattos, I'm realizing. They were. They were a, a few years bit. earlier than Watto. Two years. They had yeah. two years on Watto. Does the Stargate sequence go on too long? I mean, I just love it. I The only thing about the Stargate sequence is that there's that bit where there's like some sort of globey things. The that diamonds. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Where those, are, like, those, are, those are super highways. I know. I think they're cool. Yeah. They're the one thing that feels like a little kind of like dorky and 60s. You know, like, yeah. Right? yeah. It's a little like when they just do the sort of inverted <laughs> color waves Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, the diamonds are the one thing. It's a it, little Tron. It's a little Tron. I love Tron. But yeah. it does it does date the movie to the moment a little bit more. It's another thing where if you'd asked me for my memory seeing this movie as a kid, I'd be like, well, the Stargate sequence lasts for 30 straight minutes. 
Yeah. Like as a child, I was like, this is half an hour yeah, yeah. of lights and sounds and colors. Yeah. Uh, where it's like 10, 12 minutes. It's shorter than the creation sequence in Tree of Life. Is it? Okay. I, I believe so. Yeah. I would have said it went on too long, and then watching it this time, I found it was actually pretty breezy. I feel like once you are aware that it's, you know, and I mean, now everybody knows, oh, the ending of 2001 is a bunch of wacky shit on screen for a while. Once you settle in, it's pretty cool. Right, when I was 12, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was ever going to end. I was like, am I going to fucking watch this for an hour? (laughs) So do they pull him through a wormhole? That, that I believe, is the case. It goes, uh, they drop him through a wormhole, and then that moment, the shot of the diamonds... Those are intersections. I'm rem- this is from my memory of the book, which I read a long time ago. But that's like, you know, take an exit on the turnpike. Sure. And then you go through another wormhole. And then you appear in this place. And then at the end, uh, the star child or the moon watcher, whatever the hell they want to call him, the, uh, they send it back to Earth. And whether that's Bowman reincarnated or not, this becomes open to interpretation. When I was a kid, sure. and I did, my mother I was trying to calm me down. As I mentioned, I had a bit of a... Nervous breakdown. Yeah. Uh, my mother was like, hey, it's just a baby being born. It was reincarnated. And this was a thing for me because at the time, I was eight years old. I was kind of obsessed with the concept of reincarnation. Uh-huh. And when I was eight, I was very worried that I was going to become reincarnated in my next life. And I didn't want to be, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to be a blade of grass. Sure. Because I didn't want people stepping on me all the time. Yeah. Makes sense. And this was a very, very big concern for me. I thought you were going to say you didn't want to be a giant space fetus. Because who, who the fuck are you going to talk to? I mean, in retrospect, there were a lot, a of, lot things of things I probably you don't didn't want to be. Yeah. But I was fixated on the blade of grass. Because I think that's part of the Hindu it, thing. It, you always say we, uh, we're all connected. The blade, of, the blade of grass is always invoked. Right. The, ba- the blade of grass is a thing. Like, it's I one think, of the... Yeah. I think I may have heard... Some I heard the phrase blade of grass yeah. and it stuck in my head. And when the concept of reincarnation, I was like, fuck, blade of grass, that's my number. I'm like, oh man, stuck on the lawn, it everything's sucks. happening up there. Yeah, what a bummer. Just me and the ants, yeah. occasionally Rick Moranis's children. <laughs> I mean, just like nothing going on. So this really worried me. And if like, you know, you're eight years old, you don't want to conf- you don't want to really, you know, you trust your parents. I had very caring and loving parents mm-hmm. like what's wrong tell me what's wrong i don't want to say it. it's embarrassing so the first night you don't sleep the second night finally you're crying in bed you're eight years old why are you upset i'm gonna be a blade of grass and my parents are weirdo kid losing what a loser what do we raise my father wants to smack me around act like a man like the godfather but um no caring and loving parents with an insane child and um I think my parents, who were you know, you know, didn't want to negate beliefs of the Eastern origin, were like, "Well, there are many who believe in reincarnation, but I, I don't think you're going to be a blade of grass. I mean, I don't yeah. know, but I don't think so. So you really shouldn't worry about that, and instead worry about your asthma or whatever else is bothering you today." So I think if we can take in a couple of things that I I think make this ending so upsetting and unnerving. One, it's like this idea that, as you said, they're like. Look, see, we built a normal, comfortable room for you. A right. hotel room to yeah. your specifications. It's just what you want, right? It's but I, everything, you got this Kubrick-like wide-angle, deep focus kind of it's thing. Bright and blue. Right, but there's like no windows. Everything feels like a little too like fluorescent. Like it's just sort of... Even the uh, styles that are being referenced don't really match. No, no. It's like, it, it both looks like... I wouldn't stay there. Like, right, like a, a Parisian hotel standing from the 1600s and it looks like... Uh, Donald Trump's a holiday inn or whatever. Yeah, no, right. I'd give it three stars on Yelp. Tops. Yeah, like not not a fun environment, but also the, just the the device of 
Bowman's seeing something, right? The sort of Kuleshev effect thing. Transference of, of point of view. It's, it's, he sees the thing, you cut back, you cut back again, the first thing is gone, you've jumped 20 years. I think it's one of the most powerful Ooh. applications of the edit I yeah. have ever seen, the yeah. cut, where it's like you're doing so much. You're changing point of view, you're changing consciousness, you're changing time, you're doing time, everything is like shifting. But this sort of thing of like seeing Kirdalea's face, he's so good in these close-ups, mm. right? Seeing him observe something, that anticipatory dread of like, do I want them to cut to what he's looking at so I can like cut the tension, or do I not want? Do you to not see want to even see it? Is and it scarier to not see it? Because there's no grounding. Like right, you as right. an audience member, you're like I'm so lost and floating, and it's frightening because it's like, well, he can't go back. And and these shots know? are so sort of cold and and pulled back that you're. It, it's always a little bit abstract at first. It takes a moment to identify that's him. That's the same guy. And by the time you can confirm it. You are now that guy. You're stuck. stuck. You're, the, the previous guy's gone. He's in this dude now. Yeah. yeah. And just the moment you recognize the pattern and go like, oh, fuck, this is going to keep on going. Where does this go? It's wild. I think it's cool. But it spooked <laughs> me when I was a kid. It really Spooky. did spook and me when no, I was a kid. And the sound, like it's yeah. Yeah. total silence until he drops his plate or whatever. Yeah. And, I just looked up the murals that are in the room. They are so chilling. Yeah. And it's not a detail that I feel like you could really see like at home on a TV. And I definitely have never noticed that like a theater screening. But looking at this article here on Popular Mechanics, it is really disconcerting in yeah. a way where it's supposed to look like Renaissance paintings, but it's just there's it's something wrong. not right about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, again, it, I think it's very similar to the furniture and the the room's design, yeah. but uh, something for people to look up at home. Have either of you guys read the the um, the Jack Kirby Marvel 2001 series? Oh, you know, I, ha no. I, I haven't read I mean, it, but I know it's around. It's cool yeah. that it exists. Yeah, and I think, like, Fourth World essentially yeah. comes out of it. I mean, obviously, he moves from Marvel to DC, but by all accounts, it's sort of like, because he was able to embellish. Yeah, didn't he, like, do a whole series? Like He, he, he did a whole series. Like, it's, the first it's, three it's issues are the movie, and then issue. he went bananas with it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does Rom Space Knight come it's, out of that? No, it's Machine no. Man. Machine Man, thank yes. you. Yes, uh, not to be nerdy, but Rom yes. Space Knight was a Hasbro creation He's, that he was right, hired right, for. Right, right. But yes, no, Machine Man, like there's a Marvel character that's. And my fantasy like, baseball team is called DeGrom the Space Knight. I'm cool. not joking. Comes out of that and and sort of, yeah, it starts him on the paths of thinking that lead to when he goes over to DC being like, I think I can create a whole mythology here. I don't know how readable it is, though. Like, is it one of those things that's stuck in like. Don't know. Legal grade. I, I would imagine so because there was one time when I um, went to go find it and it was yeah. difficult to find. And I did find, uh, I, I, I went on like Pirate Bay or something right. I and I downloaded PDFs and has I ever existed forgot about it until this conversation. In trades, I don't think it's on the Marvel apps or anything. Yeah, I, think I think you it's can buy them on eBay for a lot of money or single you can go, issues. To, go to yeah. Pirate Bay. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that like this feels like such an untouchable movie. And yet, Arthur C. Clarke made three sequels. Yep, there's a sequel <laughs> they made movie. One of those sequels as a movie that people were like, "Well, obviously it doesn't touch 2001, but it's not an embarrassing." Uh, three out of four. And then, like Jack Kirby did all these comics about it. It's you not know? that untouchable. Yeah, it's not that. Well, it's like Jaws too. Jaws, like yeah. they, people talk about, like one day they're going to remake Jaws, like Heaven for Finn. It's right. like they did Jaws 3D for Christ's sake. Yeah, they, they did, did like, Jaws 4: The Revenge. Right. This time it's personal. I mean. 
Jaws has been tinkered with. Um, they they used to franchise out these classics, but it just no one would. The, it wouldn't stick to the legacy of the original film, right? In a way, you know. Alice doesn't live here anymore. The movie yes. Alice the sitcom, yeah, very right. different properties. Um, it was a commercial success, but initially not a critical hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York's critics uh, were confounded and bored. Uh, it premiered at the Capitol Lewis Theater on Broadway, and apparently 240 people walked out. Wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. Uh, and Stanley Kubrick's reaction was like misery. He was like, ah, oh, I fucked it up. This is yeah. no good. Then like, he cut like 12 minutes or something. Yeah. And then, you know, as it starts to commercially come out, it's one of those movies where it's like people are lining up around Finds the block. Like, you yeah. know. Um, it, it, he wins the Oscar for special effects. He does. The Oscar is weirdly given to Kubrick. And yes. not to Trumbull. It's the only Oscar Kubrick it's ever won. It's incredibly wins. rude to Trumbull. It's, it's fine because obviously Kubrick had a major role overseeing the visual effects, but it's bizarre. But they essentially give him the Oscar because they're like, well, everyone was working for you. It was your vision. Yeah, even in Benson's book, which is very pro Kubrick, they right. paint this chapter as a little bit of a dick move obviously on his bizarre. part. Yeah. It's simultaneously weird that this is his only Oscar and that Trumbull doesn't get a statue. Right. Well, even Trumbull was just like, he was part of a team. I mean, but he was one of the main guys, but he wasn't the solo it, guy. It's just fun. no, but he's the guy who comes off of he this comes, with like yeah, being yeah. the sort of guru. He was but, the guru, yeah. and certainly they had three different set designers. One left. One of the production designers left midway, but a lot of his work is still in there. You also had um, the very young Andrew Birkin was very involved as like a jack of all trades helper on production. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole thing in Benson's book about how he went to Africa to shoot the footage for the. Uh, for, for two things, for the Dawn of Man sequence, and also you mentioned earlier those solarized images yes. in the Dawn of Man stuff. He you know, attached a camera to the bottom of a helicopter, and there was an, there was a plane crash or something like this. All kinds of weird stories. How they moved a tree, you know, some kind of fancy tree. They moved it around Slip South screen Africa. Photography, I think, is the uh, name yeah, of that technique the, that he uses for the yeah for the um, Stargate. So he kind right. of Trumbull kind of invented that. And Kubrick found Trumbull, I believe, because he had done stuff at the World's Fair. That makes sense. Is that correct? Is it that the World's Fair was that the connection? He had seen something for like the you know the the Futurama exhibit or something, and said that's my guy. And then he made Brainstorm, which is a great movie. Yeah, uh, Brainstorm is a very cool movie. Um, it's just interesting that this like sort of high art, super intellectual experimental movie was savaged by the New York yeah. literati. Like yes. uh, Renata Adler was the film critic for the Times of the you know uh, John Simon, Judith Christ, Andrew Saris, and then when it starts to expand, like more regular America is like, we dig this. Like yeah, bring it around. You know, and maybe it was our first Kubrick episode. We talked about how like 2001 is most people's first Kubricks. Most people are shown it by their parents at a young age like we talked about. And then someone on the Reddit was like, oh, Griffin and David showing their like coastal elite to everyone watches 2001 when they're a kid. And then like 20 people responded and they're like, I grew up in like a trailer park. My dad was like an auto mechanic. He didn't care about movies at all. He showed me 2001 when I was nine. Yeah. There might be a generational movie. thing where now that we're aging out of parents who grew up with this movie, right. yeah. then perhaps future generations, people younger than us aren't being shown this film at a young age. But it was this thing that was like a very populist Sort of yeah. like just an important totemic thing you need to witness. My, my at some mother, point. it was like a like, ritual. Yeah, of my mother up. has no interest in sci-fi, which is ironic because so much of my career has been about Star Trek. She made fun of Star Trek my whole life. Yeah, um, but she 
Okay, well, that's rude. Yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, I know. But she, uh, you know, when I when I when the video box of course, like, oh, of course, I've seen this. Like, it was a movie you had to see. It was the number one at the box office that year, I believe. Oh, 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yeah. Was, uh, let's see. 1968. But, but it's like in that like Wizard of Oz canon. Oh, yeah, of yeah. Just like... it's, it's, it's a big milestone. For right. sure. Everybody uh, saw The it. second most successful film of 1968 behind Funny Girl. Wow. Well, Barbara. Uh, I mean, for sure. Yep. I mean, of, of the other big movies that year, The Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. Good movie. Funny stuff. Yeah, Bullet. He drives. Yeah. Oliver. Got to pick a pocket. Not a very good movie. <laughs> um... Let's play the box office game. But yeah, wait. We, can, can, weird that this movie wasn't nominated for Best Picture, Best wasn't, Director. Wasn't. It's true. Very rude, in my opinion. Um, the box office game. Mm-hmm. This movie comes out in April 20, uh, 20, Jesus, April 1968. Okay. Opens number four. Pretty yeah, good. Pretty good. But then just runs for a long, long Ever. time. Yeah. Man. Number one of the box office is a very a generationally important film. Hmm. Uh, it's been number one for weeks and weeks, and it's going to keep being number one. It's a huge movie. The Graduate? It's The Graduate. Holdover from 67, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Wow. Which came out Christmas 67, so it's been about four months, but it's just, it's been number one for months. Yeah. Do you like The Graduate? You know, it's one of those movies I have always, uh, respected more than I've liked. I'm the exact same way with it. It's never been a movie for me. And it was like, I was I like, like a, you know, I, I, I was obsessed it. with Rushmore, and everyone was like, well, you got to watch The Graduate. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the the Rosetta Stone of this movie. For sure. Yeah. And I watched it and I was like, eh, it's okay. I get it. It's, I get it. I get it. It's very good. And then uh, I just, every five, eight years, I'm like, I should give that another swing and see if it finally really connects with me. And I always just respect it, understand its importance. It doesn't grab me viscerally in the way like 2001 does. I think the first two thirds of The Graduate are A+. And then the final third does kind of, the air gets out of the balloon a little I agree, bit. But then the ending is yeah. also like the maybe the best good. part. And the last five minutes are phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Number two at the box office is uh, one of your favorites. It's one of my favorite films. Science fiction film of 1968. Uh, the original Planet of the Apes? Planet of the Apes. How long has that been out? Ten weeks. Yeah, wow. Big Doing hit. Doing good. Big hit. Big hit. Um, yeah. Kind of, kind of the first modern franchise has always been my argument. Mm-hmm. And... Very different from 2001, but it's a big sci-fi year. Is all yeah. you know. Yeah, it's um, also a movie where I feel like people's cultural memory or imprint of Planet of the Apes is very colored by the sequels, and people forget yeah. how talky and slow the first movie is in particular, where it takes like 45 minutes to see an ape, <laughs> and then it's a series of conversations and a twist ending. Yeah, but uh, what's her name? Kim Hunter. No, uh, what's her name? <laughs> you know, I forget her. The actress, Nova. The yeah, yeah. What's her name again? I don't, I don't know. know. Very, very becoming. Yes. Um, number three at the box office is a western starring Burt Lancaster and Ozzie Davis. Huh. Right. Wow. Yeah. Had you heard of it before? Telly Savalas and Shelley Winters. That's a good cast. Good cast. Directed by Sidney Pollock. What is this movie? Anyone know it? It's, I've never seen it, but I don't know if I've heard of it. It's, it's called The Scalp Hunters. Wow. Jeez, I've never heard of that one. It's an I'm, early Pollock, his third film. Wow. The Scalp Hunters. I thought you were about to say that you'd actually seen that movie. And I was gonna be yeah, surprised. Ben was sitting up. But, <laughs> no, I have not. Um, number four is um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh-huh. Number five is a comedy that uh, wouldn't fly today, hmm. starring a Kubrick collaborator. Hmm. 
It's a Peter Sellers movie called The Party. It's called The Party. Yeah. Blake yeah, the, Edwards is The Party. The Party Peter is Sellers. intense, man. As the party is Prundivi Bashki. Yeah. Bashi. 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 Yeah. Do I want to know why I wouldn't it, fly? It, Peter Sellers in brown face doing like an oh, Indian oof. accent, yeah, you know, sure. sort of. Yeah, yeah, Are, yeah. Is the party, is it done with good intentions? I don't know. Um, I remember seeing it as a kid and yeah. having a parent showed it to me, not my mom, like a different parent. It yeah. was like, this movie is racist. But I don't know. Peter Sellers is funny. Like, yes. And you watch, and it's mostly just because it's set at a party, and it's just him getting into various little like he's always there's sort of you know, incredible trouble comedic construction right. in it. So, it's like one long set. It's it's all set in one house, right. and it's him just it's making sort of mistakes. So like people don't want to totally throw it out because it's not just like oh here's Mickey Rooney in the bathtub. Yes. It's like there's you know. things worth studying in this movie. It is uh, it's a tough funny. One. I mean, like Mr. Bean is very obviously inspired by Peter Sellers in general, yeah. but like that character that he's playing. And it's obviously also it's like, well, Clouseau, he's doing French here. He's doing Indian. What's the problem? Right. Yeah, right. Oh, it's that's the 60s, kind of the, right? Now, is he actually in brownface? They darken yes. his skin. Oh, yeah. No, it's fucked up. It's I, not I mean, good. Probably if that movie he played a french butler or a british butler it would have been and it was okay, the yeah. exact same film it would be like considered one of the 10 canonical comedies <laughs> right right because it, it, right, it's, yeah, got it's got blake this... edwards too i mean it's a real it's, yeah, it yeah. was a, and it was a huge well, as you say it was, it was a big hit huge hit some other movies in the top 10 gone with the wind heard of it yeah talk about canceled that's it, a little bit on the canceled they just bring um, it back every yeah it's just been reissued again five you go years, see fucking gone with the wind yeah. go enjoy it yeah. um Has there's it been, are you saying it's really been reissued no, not in really. 1968. It, it was yeah. every five years until like no, the early 90s. No, it would be complicated to reissue much. it now. It'll happen sometime, probably for the 100th anniversary, which is like not yeah. actually that this long. This is a, oh, you know, it's a real conversation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what we're not we... going to get into a common <laughs> conversation. Uh, there's also The Fox with Sandy Dennis. Uh-huh. Not after The Fox with Peter Sellers. Uh, based on D.H. Lawrence. No, not that. There's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, another mm. 67 holdover. That movie stinks. Ben is trying to, he's mm. putting, who's he's who's trying to guess who? trying to come up with a guess. No, here's what I'm trying to do david's flipping up the i'm doing the board game it's henry yeah yeah oh henry henry um guess who's coming to dinner can we just uh, you, uh, this is a boring movie. i rewatched it sometime in the last five years it's got its moments where like you know an actor especially what's her um you know Bea richards who's the mom like they'll have like a speech where you're like well you know they did a good job with that, like. But that's very much a movie acting. where you have to go like. Imagine when it came out, exactly, right? right. Like it's you not, really not... have to put on the the prism of that movie's the time. homework. It's yes. also the Spencer yes. Tracy thing of like he's dying, right? Yeah. And so you are watching this guy sort of like summon his last ounce of strength, right? I, I think that's know. the Clooney is like so obsessed with Spencer Tracy and talks about that's the movie where you literally see him mid take check where his mark is. And really? he was just yeah. like, he was an actor of such conviction and naturalism that mm. you even respect even that, that as a right. move of yeah. honesty. <laughs> uh, Where he there... like takes a step, starts talking, looks down, adjusts to the mark, <laughs> keeps talking. Wow. Camelot, uh, yeah, the sure. adaptation of the musical yeah. uh -huh. by Lerner and Lowe with Richard Harris. And a movie called The Secret War of Henry Frigg starring Paul Newman. Huh. Which is like a military drama. I've never huh. seen it. No. Who directed that? Uh, Jack Smite. Oh, Jack Smite. Who made, made a lot Rabbit of Run and, yeah. you know, I well. don't know, some stuff. Uh, can I just say quickly, uh, Merchandise Spotlight, Kubrick was always really protective of not letting people merchandise his movies. And now in the last like five years, it's really opened up. 
company Super 7 I like a lot has made a series of figures that are first American uh, toys based on 2001. Uh, I ordered the Moon Watcher that comes with the... Uh, the monolith and the uh, uh, Bauman that comes with Hal last night. Thank you. I had to say this on mic so I can write it off as a business. Hey! I was waiting to order it until we got to the episode. Good job, buddy. Wait, can I? Uh, how? I suppose I. I mean, I'll send you the links. They're really good. No, no. I'm wondering if I were to mention it on the air and I were to buy it, would it be a tax write off for me? Sure, Maybe I'm gonna try pay it. you for the episode. So, you know. well, I mean, you bought me a sa- you bought me a pastry. I did. I bought you a pastry. So bar. that was goods and services for my time. Absolutely. Hence, we pay our guests now. You do? Yeah, you'll get yeah, some cash. Some Are you cash. being serious? Yeah, we're yeah. being serious. We're not standing business. We pay our guests. I didn't know this. But it's happened in the time since the last time you were on. It started yes. right about then. Yeah. I, I would have pushed to been on much sooner if I'd known <laughs> this. <laughs> you'd be every week. You'd be like knocking on the door. <laughs> Are, you at a, Are you at a, I mean... Can I do the... Uh, <laughs> I don't fucking know. What do you got coming up next week? Can, um, first of all, I insist that this part do not be edited. No, this is in. Are you fucking oh, this kidding? is staying in. in. We're gonna now triple it. What I want to you know, know how much they they're complaining right now about the episodes being too short. We're just gonna we're just gonna have dead air. Hold on, the, hold I'm, on. Gonna, I'm gonna have you go in the bathroom and take a shit, and we'll record. Look, Jordan, you know, I sent, don't you I think for you the, the eyes wide shut episode, wait, wait, like, oh, no, it should be six hours long. Yeah. Let's just let it run wait, wait, for wait, another wait. Now, three hours. Now we were talking a lot on this program this today. Yeah. By the way, I do have to catch a four o'clock. Yeah, uh, we got three thousand years of longing. We were talking on the program today about 2001 and how it's about the bending of space and time and evolution. and jumps in time absolutely so we recognize that fourth dimensional travel is a possibility yeah what i'm driving at is i've been a guest on the show earlier can i invoice you for my previous yeah sure why not (laughs) fine Okay, okay, More. but 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 that yeah. money goes towards ordering the fucking action figures. I just I love Super it. Seven. I've gotten some they're of great. Show they're good. Yeah. They do clothes. I love them. They should sponsor the show. All right, um, everyone. We, everyone's. We gotta stop. We gotta it's over. Done. I'm gonna. I gotta well, go no, see the George I, Miller. Movie. I mean, just talk the, about time travel. You'll have already heard me do the three thousand years of longing episode at this point. I just feel like we have to fucking mention that we're going back to the moon, baby. NASA's going back. That's that true. happened this week. The Artemis Project and. I've been reading all this stuff about it and what's kind of depressing and like very on the money is that what I'm seeing is like, we're going to get a base on the moon and then we're going to figure out how we can start to harness minerals. Helium three. Basically figure out how to continue to go further from there. I also think this is the opportunity to mention two things with specific dates on them. I think this is the time to, I'm doing it very quickly. I have to go see a movie. October 21st on Patreon, 2010, the year we made contact. Yeah, we're we doing an episode that. that. I just want to give the date for when it's happening because sure. we've mucked around our schedule a little bit to make it fit. Yeah. I do think this is the moment we should announce the 2022 Talking the Walk. Yeah, let's just um, announce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our main franchise of talking famous cinematic um, walks with uh, J.D. Amato. On December 11th, we're talking the moonwalk. We're going to discuss the moon landing with J.D. Amato and how it could or could not have been faked by Stanley Kubrick. To be clear, it was not faked by Stanley Kubrick. But but we're going to talk on a technological level the reasons why. Sure. We're talking about something. So you're walking in podcasts at the same time? Yeah. It's not fake. Where are you going to walk? On the floor. Oh, all right. You know what you can do, Ben? You can actually point a fucking camera at the moon. There's flags on it. They're just still there. They're still there. Jordan Hall. We left them there. Huh. Thank you for being here. I hope uh, I hope everybody had a good time listening. Time. I had a good time being here. I'm glad. I'm unfortunately I'm probably not going to have a number two in Ben's toilet. Yeah. Sad because it's just you know you can't control your bowels. You can't. You can't. And I don't. You can I, to some extent. I can't. Yeah, force, Dave Englund can. I can't force it out house. when it's not ready. 
you know, but I don't want to go out on that note. I want to say, um, I want to say a few things. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Pleasure's all ours. But now that I know there's some money involved, I'm overjoyed <laughs> to be on your show. I'm assuming that uh, you will not be requesting uh, W-9 uh, information from me because I'm not filing this on my taxes. Great. And I, applause. Al- I also... <laughs> no, I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's a great... I hope people um, who haven't watched it in a long time yeah. watch it again. For all Have we you know- avoided watching it because it feels like some, dare I say it, monolithic thing. Yeah, yeah. Some stodgy sort of it is piece a little of slow, and it's it's a little slow at home. So if you're gonna do it, like don't watch it on your laptop. Like do it up, dim the lights, sure. put down your phone. Yeah. If you're gonna watch HBO Max's print, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Sit on the couch and really focus, and you're gonna and, dig and it. If you can catch it in a theater, all the better. Oh, a hundred percent. Listen, not all of our listeners are in New York City. No, most of them are not. Thank you all for listening, Jordan. Thank you for being here. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Round of applause to us. For doing this. Thank you to Marie Barty. Round of applause for social media helping to produce the show. Uh, AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing. JJ Birch for our research slash the Kubrickionary. Uh, Lee Montgomery, the Great American All for our theme song. Joe Bowen, Pat Rounds for our artwork. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for some links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, uh, which will feature the uh, upcoming uh, teased uh, Kubrick tie-in episodes uh tune in next week for a clockwork orange with alex ross perry a very short and concise episode yeah yeah if this one felt too long to you don't worry the next one's also too long yeah is this episode longer than 2001 the movie probably yeah i think we beat it by a couple minutes uh and as always uh pre-com <laughs> <laughs>